I noticed you didn't reply to my text asking how Final Fantasy VII Remake is going, so I think that answers my question. I was going to say, the answer may surprise you. (laughs) (laughs) Prince of... uh, Awesome. Console Crusade Podcast. I'm Chris Healy for taking point this week here as always with Nick Durheim. Hello, hello, hello. And EJ Olson. My back! <laughs> We've got lots to talk about today. Y'all heard us last week in an episode that was recorded, I think, at least one week prior to that. So it's been two weeks since we've all been in space together. I've missed seeing your mugs on uh, Sunday afternoon. It's good to be back. Uh, Nick, how are you doing? How's your vacation? I'm doing great. The vacation was delightful. Finally, finally got to do it after delaying it two weeks in a row. Uh, yeah, it was great. A perfect Oregon weather. It was dreary, overcast and rainy the entire weekend, which is perfect. We got enough, uh, hold up in the, in the rain to just go out and walk among the field. We're uh, staying on like a ranch up in Vernonia, which is like between Portland and Astoria. So Not really a whole lot going on there except to go visit some antique shops and uh, try some local cuisine, which was a nice little Hawaiian hole in the wall. That was good. And just cook a lot of food. Did steaks, did fajitas, did a delightful French toast breakfast. You know, you name it, we made it. So had a good time. Very cozy. Played a lot of video games. Just relaxed hard. That sounds goddamn delightful. I'm looking forward to Something like that. Oh, yeah, Nick, I was just sorry. I didn't, I didn't tell the CJ, I told this to Nick that I was thinking about you know your vacation and thinking about how much I'm overtaxing my introvert batteries between teaching a full-time schedule and directing a show and then coming home and needing to spend some time with my wife, who I love and want to spend time with. Uh, so I have not really had a whole lot of... I'm, I'm into my surplus at this point. I am, I am mm. overclocking my introvert energy. And when this show gets open and after Dune opening weekend, when we're going to be like going thither and yon to see it in various uh, high fidelity IMAX formats. uh, I want to get an Airbnb literally in Bowling Green from like Friday night to Sunday morning, probably and pack my PlayStation and some food and just sit alone in a room and play Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and do absolutely nothing else except eat and drink water for like two days. I need this so badly, and you have inspired me to do that. So thank you. You deserve it, King. EJ, how the fuck are you doing? I'm okay. Had a weird weekend. Went up, had to help my grandma dig up a bunch of tree stumps out of her garden. Like full fucking tree stumps. So... You call it Mark to go help you? Dude... Sarah was at her aunt's house moving furniture because her new boyfriend is moving in. And I said, I'm not fucking doing that. I'm going to my grandma's. But then my grandma put me to work. So that was my penance for blowing off Sarah's family. So I'm very sore today. I mean, I had a shovel. I was sawing. So I just, this right arm got way more used than it surprisingly gets on a daily basis. <laughs> so, uh, my lower back, I mean, it just, it was a couple of hours out there, but it was a beautiful weekend. The sun was shining. Dude, it was funny. Really nice. You were like, oh, it's perfect Oregon weather on our vacation last week. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we recorded like three podcasts during the ice. And 
So for three weeks, people think we've just been living in a fucking horrific ice storm. We're losing power. Things are flickering. It was like a four-day span or something like that. I'm back home now. I'm tired. I'm sore. And I'm ready to listen to you guys talk about Prince of Persia. Oh, believe it. We will get there. We will get there. Uh, we have a full Gubrick review of Prince of Persia between Nick and I, which I'm excited to dive into later on. Uh, along the way, we're going to break down the state of play that aired last week. Got uh, got some new looks at a couple of upcoming games from Sony and a really, really interminably long look at another fucking Hideo Kojima joint. Yay. And so we'll talk about that. We will do a very brief because EJ, I think, is uh, might actually explode out of one or more of his orifices if we do not let him release the rant he's been <laughs> sitting on for two weeks. Um, <laughs> no one say the T word to EJ. OK, like we can't set him off too early. No one say the T word to can or make or make reference <laughs> to a specific dollar amount. Uh, uh, so we're going to do that. We'll see how brief that can be, because uh, I'm sure that we're all going to jump in and it's going to be a whole thing. Uh, we also are continuing with our honorable mentions list of games on Nintendo consoles that we really love, but maybe don't get the kind of love they deserve and are not on our top 100 list, which we're getting close to 150. So stay tuned for us to make our first bout of revisions to that list in a matter of weeks. I think that's it. I think that's uh, I think that's the long and short of today. Uh, EJ, you've got a uh, breakdown of the state of play in front of you. Take us through this. I was oh, um, boy. It was a dire affair, I think. And uh, as we get into it, I, I think that will become probably evident for our, our listeners. But I'll let I'll let you take us through beat by beat. Brennan and I hopped in and then you joined us and we I don't know what we expected. I think deep down we knew it was going to be bad because state of play is have never, ever been good, not even once, I don't think. And it's annoying that they do them. And then they ended the whole thing by announcing another one for next week. It just It's silly. That happens with uh, notable games. This was this is 45 minutes long, and they showed like maybe two things worth caring about and saved the third thing for next week. So it's just it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, they kicked us off with Stellar Blade, which turns out is real. They announced it a couple of years ago. When did they announce this game? I feel like I've seen trailers for this for a while and everyone's like, oh, it's very shiny and sparkly and there's, you know, boob physics. So that gets a certain subset of people extremely interested, but they, the developer is not known for making console games. So I don't, I don't know why people would be excited for this. It seems like it could be a nice first foray into making a real video game, but I don't know what the proof of that has been since then. Well, the trailer was bad, so I don't know if the, they've shown us anything that make us think that, you know. This is going to be worth playing. I skimmed through this trailer specifically because it was like, oh, gameplay reveal 2024. And I was skimming through and I, I saw maybe three or four shots where it was like a small clip of gameplay where it's like, oh, here's her like running and here's her doing a animation from a combat scene. But it's not like an actual it's like a, a cut scene within combat. Right. It's very Bayonetta in that way. A lot of flash, not a lot of substance so far, which is a lot of that genre, but I need to see some of the substance as well. Right. People keep saying, oh, this is like near. Let me see some combo numbers, you know, let me see something. Yeah, this was very much a lot of gratuitous ass shots, bouncing tits, outfits that you can shove this poor digital doll into. And yeah, very, very light 
on substance. This feels like we have near at home and given the pedigree or lack thereof of this developer in the console scene, this looks terrible. This looks awful. I think that it's got a, a wider floor ceiling ratio FCR. One of my new acronyms with fantasy critic. It's got a higher FCR than would make it a guaranteed counter pick. Like it could be an 82, but it could also be scraping the bottom of the seventies. Cause I have no fucking clue what this game is. And you know, some people in the fantasy critics ever were like, well, some of the other ones had, you know, some other snippets of gameplay. And I think that, you know, that's, it's not fair to say at this point in time that, you know, we don't know what this game will look like. That's pretty common. This game comes out in two and a half fucking months. I should know what this game plays like. If you're going to give me a dedicated five ish minutes, maybe seven minutes out of your 45 minute stay to play and give me like a lot of base building type things. And here's some people that you'll encounter on this journey, but I still don't know anything else about what this is actually going to look like. It looks like Scarlet Nexus of 2024 to me. It's very telling that the trailers have all focused on selling anime titties to weeboos. A lot of people have talked about, oh, this is going to be the lies of P of, of 2024. I'm like, no, this is going to be the fucking fourth spoken of 2024. And I have been adamant about that. Since this fucking reveal, looking at the fantasy critic most bids across all leagues or whatever, and then this is creeping up there, and I'm like, this is insane! Who watched that trailer and said, yeah, I'm going to go pick this up? And of course, we're sick in the head, and we have spreadsheets, and we've been doing this for several years, and a lot of people on that website haven't. I'm baffled that people thought this looked good. Brandon drafted it, so, you know, I'm not singular in my opinions here, apparently. I don't know how to feel about this, because I feel like People see Sony giving this game a lot of shine and it's been on a lot of Sony specific marketing with the state of plays. And I think it's only ever shown up at state of plays. And I think that just floats it up for a lot of people. But also I think that's spurious. I don't know uh, any other examples of games that have actually done well because of the Sony bump. But I think that makes sense for why people are bidding on it because it was a it was a headliner. It was well, not the headliner, but it was the first showing. It was the opener for a state of play, which state of plays aren't, you know, very good generally compared to uh, how Nintendo does their directs, but it is their equivalent in a lot of ways. And they see Sony putting their weight behind it being like, okay, like there's no doubt this game's going to get reviews at the very least, but will they be glowing? Uh, probably not. I think the high, like the, what is that? The genre is, uh, stylish action games i don't think stylish action games are as bad generally or as poorly reviewed generally as uh, 3d collectathon platformers but it is sort of sniffing that territory where i think if this was ripping off a genre that people love like if this was <laughs> if this was the stellar blade of the last of us which would be hilarious i think maybe then it could sniff at it like an 80 because i think that's basically what the uh, plague tale games are like a cheap sort of homage to games that people review highly not really like but they review highly um i think people will like this game but i don't think it's going to review highly i think there's like a 75 sort of ceiling on this game then we got to factor in another one of my new acronyms the uh weeb shit corollary or wsc and we never know when it comes to that we had a lot of conversation about that with grand blue when that came out um getting bumped one way or the other. And it's hard to tell with Iun Chronicles. We're also sort of sitting here wondering what that bump is going to result in. Yeah. I don't know. I'm with you though. I, I think this is not, I'm amazed that this is not flying up the counter pick boards. 
maybe we'll next week. I mean, maybe that's what we'll be seeing this when we record next week. We'll be able to look at the trending and, you know, see that there's 65 or 80 counter picks on the board for, for this game or something, something high like that. I don't know. I don't know. After Stellar Blade, we got Sonic and Shadow Generations announced for the end of the year. This is a remake with Bowser's Fury type DLC featuring Shadow. Is that correct? Chris, are you a Sonic? This is your game, right? I think it's more like a director's cut with added content than it is like a remake. It's like an HD port with added levels. I would put it squarely at remaster, which I think is what, is that what Bowser's Fury got? Or did that get tagged as re as a director's cut? I think that was a director's cut because there was not really any added visual flair. Yeah, I see. It was a port with added content. No, this is for sure. I think a, a, a remaster, uh, you know, this is a, this is a 13 year old game, Sonic generations where you were playing 2d classic 2d side scrolling Sonic action as a small, slightly more cyan Sonic. And then, uh, Rotund Sonic. <laughs> yes. Uh, just a portly little guy. And then the Sonic Adventure style 3D um, air combo grind rail type shit from uh, with uh, Edgelord Sonic. Pop-punk. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pop Punk Sonic. It's that plus uh, a whole campaign for Shadow. And as I was watching this, I. It looks a lot like Sonic Adventure 2 which is really exciting for me and me specifically because I don't know a lot of people that love that game outside of the four family. Um, but looking at some of the locations that they're going to go seeing some like grind rail action again, that aerial combat of like hitting aerial enemies with your homing attack to get higher and chaining that together. And then literally um, the final boss from Sonic Adventure two, the bio lizard made an appearance and I'm like, Holy shit. Like I might actually buy this game. That is crazy because I only want to play the shadow stuff to feel something. But if it gives me a chance of getting like a proper Sonic Adventure 3, that would be so worth it. I th- I Sonic Adventure 2 is so fucking underrated. I think it's fun. It's cool. The different variation, the way that the different uh, characters, the way that they designed all the different levels for them, like Sonic is all about like speed and speed platforming. And uh, Tails is in like a mech and it's a lot of like run and gun type action. Uh, and Knuckles is is a treasure hunter and he's looking for pieces of the Master Emerald. It's like, and then their inverse, you know, folks on the bad side uh, is the same thing. I was like, this is cool. This is awesome. Would love to see that kind of Sonic game make a return and not whatever the fuck Sonic Frontiers was. I always felt like uh, Generations was kind of build just as what you're describing, Chris, where it's like, here are the different eras of Sonic and our sort of love letter as well written as a love letter by Sega for Sonic can be done. So obviously it was a bit hit or miss much like Sonic the Hedgehog usually is, but I think it makes sense to have that uh, shadow edition since it is very much uh, popular amongst the Sonic fandom and with uh, Sonic being or shadow being in the next Sonic movie it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There was some casting news about that movie too. And people are speculating that we're going to get Rouge the bad and that we're going to get metal Sonic just based on some of the people that they picked up and like what their wheelhouse is. I'm going to love that movie a lot for Aquafina to be voicing Rouge the bad. Oh no, no. They, uh, Chris Ritter is the person they just added that everybody suspects is going to be Rouge. This is actually a good get Chris Ritter is a good actor. Uh, I will love that movie and I will not be ashamed of loving that movie. I've loved both the Sonic movies so far. And it's not good, but I like it. It's perfectly cromulent, if unspectacular. (laughs) 
After Sonic, we got a quick little Foam Stars trailer, which is like PlayStation's Splatoon adjacent battle royale game. And they announced that it will be launching day and day as part of the PlayStation Plus program uh, on the 6th this month, which will be before this episode is released. So that's at least cool. Don't know if this game is going to be any good, but people are going to play it. That game has servers shut down within 12 months energy, and it's had that ever since it was announced last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fun for a couple games, but being fun for a couple games does not uh, pay the bills, and Square Enix is going to shoot that puppy in the crib. Yeah, this is completely uninteresting to me you never know though with some of these multiplayer games how they hit and being free to play uh on launch is like one good way to at least get people i mean pal world has at two in the morning i am looking at youtube and it's got twenty two thousand viewers on on youtube live or whatever i mean it's just absurd like who who can predict how these things work but uh did the divers come to playstation great good uh have you guys played that game chris have you touched that sounds like a nick game I have not touched it. Yeah. Bren really liked it. Great. Was that PC only? No. It's on Switch now, I think. Okay. And it's got Godzilla DLC, which everybody's doing Godzilla DLC. Toho be making deals. It's been everywhere. Cool, I guess. If you like Godzilla, Nick, I know you're a fucking big Godzilla guy. I like Godzilla. He's a big, scary lizard, and I appreciate him (laughs) and what he represents. Godzilla's tight as fuck, dude. You can't argue with that. (laughs) Unimpeachable. V Rising. Yeah completely checked out during this i don't know what this is it was 10 seconds of gameplay and a splash screen that says coming 2024 great anyone know anything about i want to say that was like early access or beta it was one of those things a couple years ago it was among that sort of at like game after game after game that became really popular on steam it was between some of those like there was that uh fallheim and then there was v rising and then there was like a battle royale with ninjas that I can't remember the name of. There was like a bunch of them that were just like, oh, here's the flavor of the week. So Sony getting the leftovers on flavor of the week from two years ago. A hit in the making. Silent Hill shadow dropped a game. We initially thought, wait, is this is this the remake? No, this is something different. Oh, they're going, they're trying to recapture the PT vibes. A little uh, shadow drop, a little demo for people to experience. Woof. Uh, yeah, I, I remember when we watched this, you know, it's like this girl tries to, I think, kill herself. And she wakes up in this scary purgatory. And there's like post-it notes all over the wall that is like, you're a bitch or your piece of shit or whatever. And I was like, it's a little on the nose. This is a little, not very subtle here. And, uh, that seems to be the general consensus from everyone who played the game. And it has a terrible rating on open critic right now. Apparently not a good game. Surprise. Seven. Ooh. Whammy. Seven. Whammy. Nick would have had this all day last year. (laughs) We got shadow trapped. I don't know if the game was even, I remember it was, uh, leaked. Last year, the year before, I can't remember when it got leaked, but that's the timelines on a game being leaked and when it actually comes out is always kind of iffy. Silent Hill, the short message. Well, it was short-lived, that is for sure. Then we got Silent Hill 2 Remake, which, Chris, what did you say about this when, when they started showing this? I think it was something to the effect of 
Good thing that absolutely no one in the league has gone anywhere near this or it makes perfect sense why no one in the league has gone anywhere near this because this does not look good at all. They are certainly not giving the love and attention to their horror properties that Capcom has to theirs lately. (laughs) So, you know, people still like this, but yeah, in a post, you know, RE make world where we have these incredible remakes of three of the first four Resident Evil games that have all done really well. Well, Nemesis didn't, but Nemesis wasn't going to because it's not that great a game to begin with, uh, with rumors of either five or Code Veronica coming next. Like they're full steam ahead on these and they're great. Like they're really cool and they score very well. Two was a game of the year nominee. Four was a game of the year nominee. And then for Konami to do this is very Konami. Like they they should they should just make more Silent Hill Pachinko machines and just just I just stop making video games. Stop making video games. Give Hideo Kojima the bag. Why, how did you guys fuck that up? The man's a rock star now. Schmucks. Pachinko machines. I love I just those two words back to back feel very nice coming out of someone's mouth. Pachinko machine. I love it. After Silent Hill, we got BioShock. Huh. Did you see this, Nick? Did you watch through? And you say you skimmed, but um, I didn't watch any more of the new Judas trailer. I assume it's mostly similar stuff than what what they showed at uh, Game Awards. Was that last year or two years ago? I can't remember. But yeah, this is uh, the new game from Ken Levine, the mastermind behind Bio- Bioshock One, Two, and Infinite. And boy, it sure looks like he's making another Bioshock, which is funny because this game is money hatted by Two K as well. I believe so. This is take two and take 2K making two Bioshock games at the same time because they also announced a actual do Bioshock game, but haven't shown anything for that yet. So sure, everyone everyone's been clamoring for another Bioshock. Yes, those games were very popular for a four year span, but it's also been sitting dormant for a decade. So I don't know. I don't know if they're doing enough to get people super excited to uh, jump on a new IP that looks like old ip boy yeah, always works out well does it look like old ip i mean for fuck's sake like left hand animated power right hand gun spoopy slightly mechanical looking enemies and spoopy slightly zombie looking enemies in space i mean it might be fine but like ken you left to make a studio where you could make the kinds of games that they were not letting you make. And now you're literally making the exact same fucking game that you made there. Like, and he's like, and he, he did an interview after the state of plate said, you know, the way that you interact with the world will something like some superlative, like dramatically affect the narrative and the characters around you. And I'm like, yeah, I'll believe that when I fucking see it, pal, like that's already sure been done. Well, I don't know why you think you're going to do it better, but no, I I'm just can back at 2K. This would be a 10. Uh, Wario 64 stopped tweeting after that. I believe it was Rise of the Ronin. Rise of the Ronin, a game that people have had questions about. I had asked on a previous podcast, Nick, have they been developing this concurrently? Is it the same team? How many studios do they have working on these games? Because Wolong just came out. Team Ninja be cranking these out. This has been in development for seven years. They also made the Final Fantasy one, <laughs> Stranger in Paradise. Oh, yeah, they did. Oh, my God. I still got to get to that. That'll be a laugh. Wait, That'll actually, be a fun couple weeks. Yeah, that was them. That's Team Ninja Dog. Oh, wow. Okay, so they, yeah, prolific. They put one out like once a year. 
That's crazy. This game certainly looks old, which uh, people were crying about, but this gameplay looked awesome. I, I joked, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, which was certainly a you know popular thing uh, a couple years ago. This probably will do enough different that it's not going to feel like a ripped off sequel to Ghost of Tsushima, but I love the Assassin's Creed sort of traversal and, you know, giving that a little more, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but every from soft or Souls-like game that I've experienced is just very slow and plotting. I love the idea that you're just going to be fucking whipping around and zooming around this world. That is tight as fuck to me. And having a more grounded world, you know, not so much big, scary zombie creatures and disgusting bugs or whatever. It's just a sick-ass Ronin game. That's super cool. And I think this is going to be like low-key early game of the year contender. There are not a lot of those. There won't be a lot of those for a while, but I think people are going to really like this game. I really liked it, and I was surprised to see that, again, you know, take this server with a giant grain of salt always, but all the fantasy critic geeks were like, man, can they make any other kind of combat or any other kind of game that looks or functions like any of their other games? And were real people were bitching a lot about how they just looked exactly like Neo. But they don't with, say that about fucking Elden Ring and Dark Souls. Like, what are they fucking bitching about? It's not from soft. I don't get it because I thought it looked great, but I didn't play Neo. So I was like, oh, this looks kind of cool. Like, I like the zipping around with the little the little zip line type thing. And I was like, yeah, waypoint. So I, I was like, this is Assassin's Creed is shit. And the combat looks kind of cool. Uh, but maybe they're going to get punished a bit in the review of people who are like, yeah, we've seen this before and it's fine, but we've seen this before, which again, I don't get it, but that could happen. I don't know. Did you do Neo, Nick? That seems like something maybe you would do. Uh, no, I I don't really like uh, games where combat revolves around stances, and that's what Neo was. It was a stance and loot game, and I'm not super hot on loot games either. Uh, it seemed okay, but uh, I, I don't need Dark Souls light. I don't need Dark Souls at home. You know, like I can just play the real thing. And I think that's where a lot of the Souls likes kind of fall off for me. And I didn't watch this gameplay trailer yet, but I don't really get the feeling that it's as much of a, a Souls like as it is, like EJ said, more like Ghost of Tsushima, more of the more zipping around. I don't know if it's really even close to Sekiro because Sekiro is very, very, very much a dodge, break stances, and get your hits in kind of game. It was more methodical. Uh, than even like a Dark Souls where sometimes you can just face tank and out DPS an opponent. So I, I don't really have a new evaluation on this game because I haven't watched the new trailer, but the Team Ninja stuff, their games, like I know FromSoft games are also pretty cheap in the way they continue to reuse assets and uh, animations and stuff like that, but they make up for it with really thoughtful and interesting designs and uh, character like portrayals. And I don't really get that from the designs I've seen in Team Ninja games. So maybe it just sort of stands out a little bit more in comparison. Like copy, copying your own 85 from five years ago is maybe a little bit less forgivable than copying your own 95 from three years ago or whatever. Wasn't the last Neo game like an 88 or something? People really like those games. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we're going to go out of order here because I can't find something chronological now. Thanks, Wario. This is why I have you muted, motherfucker. Death Stranding. We got a lot of Kojima in the middle of this direct. 
or state of play rather, more than any of us want. That seems to be his sort of shtick, as whenever he appears, he is going to way overstay his welcome, show us virtually nothing, and Twitter will do nothing but talk about him. So we got more of that. We got a Death Stranding 2 trailer, which was like so fucking long. It was initially seven boring minutes where all we said was, why are they blue? And then, and then the last two minutes of this trailer were fucking unhinged. And I don't know anything about this game other than it is a boring walking simulator that everyone loved because Hideo Kojima was attached to it. Norman Reedus is kidnapped by Joel from The Last of Us doing a Joker cosplay and they're having a really cringy back and forth. And the next thing you know, homeboy has whipped out a fucking guitar and the combat sequence at the end of this trailer got me fucking geeked out. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Is this what Death Stranding is like? And Brendan was like, no. And I was like, but this is tight <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, he's like shredding, like killing people with the power of rock and roll and then power sliding underneath them and chopping them with the backside of the guitar that's an axe and then unplugging it. He's parrying with it. We're like, what the fuck is this? There's a little character that you know not emir that is on norman reedus's belt that will probably be quippy the whole time that's animated at 10 frames per second because why not you're on fire brother little puppet guy yeah what the fuck even and it's not even coming out this year and they gave us almost like 10 minutes of that and then another maybe two to three minutes of talking about it and then a really long pan out with a drone to show that kojima's in a movie studio doing the recording that section and i know that like death Stranding one is getting made into a movie by a24 which is great because now i don't have to play it thank god that drone shot coming out of the movie studio was selling his next project which is not even in development yet this is the post death stranding 2 game that they were trying to sell us on and then yeah the shot was cool they come out of the studio and they drone shot up to the the wide shot out there and so it's like oh that's OD? interesting question mark or something besides that even Pissant, fizzant, I don't know. Also, EJ, here's the rest of that uh, thread that you lost. Oh, you got it for me. What a yeah, sweet. You said to scroll up. I found the last one and I just used to scroll up. You passed over your your fantasy critic pickup with Metro Awakening VR. Ah, everyone loves VR, dog. I know that VR is can rather have a widespread, and that's okay. The best VR games. Asgard's Wrath 2 got like a 90 something last year, right? Okay, so you can name you can name probably two games total that have broke 90. Well, people love Metro. I mean, none of those games have been below None of them have gotten a 90. Well, I'm sure. not saying it's going to be a 90. Jesus no, Christ, no, I'm just saying it's a good pickup for a dollar. I mean, it was a good pickup and yeah, it's People love Horizon also. That, that was, was a, a good perfectly pickup. good pickup. Perfectly good 82. pickup. 82. What are we doing? You roll the dice on Metro. That's all I'm saying. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's a dice roll. But as Chris keeps talking about in our league and in, in the, this year of video games, that there's a drought coming. And while I don't think it's going to be as dire as he thinks, uh, Nick, you should know, drafting unannounced mainline 3D Mario game, that like we're going to have to take some of these swings this year and hope it works out. Uh, we're living by a different philosophy. We're still, well, some of us are still playing it safe, playing it slow. But you see a Metro VR game? I'm hoping that's an 85. People are going to like it. Fingers crossed. I don't know. We'll see as more is revealed. It's probably an 81. Coming in 2024 does not lead me. Uh, <laughs> does not give me confidence. I also don't know if this was a new game or if this is like a VR port of the original or something. It is a new game. Yeah, I would assume new game because new subtitle. 
Yep, yep, yep. We'll see. Uh, and unless Chris or Brandon decide to counterpick this game, which would not make a ton of sense considering everything Brandon picked up last week. And also Brandon's full up on counterpicks, so he can't even counterpick your, your weird picks. I, I think my picks have been you know perfectly reasonable. I know, you, Nick, you really wanted Star Wars Outlaws. And that's, that would have been so funny. That's fine. I would have loved that. I dropped it. It was a dollar drop, and you know I still think it's going to come out this year, and we'll see how that plays out. But anyway... Uh, so yeah, Metro, they showed Metro, which is a creepy post-nuclear zombie thing. I tried to play it once like 10 years ago. Yeah. Very Eastern European. I think it's based off of a novel series by either a Russian or Ukrainian author. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Great. So we talked about Kojima, Fizzent, uh, in collaboration with Columbia Pictures. Great. How'd the new, uh, Dragon's Dogma trailer look to y'all? You know, I've I've kind of maintained that this looks like a weird sort of. It wants to be Dark Souls, and it wants to be The Witcher, and it has these Shadow of the Colossus elements with these gigantic boss fights. And I just I'm like, I don't really know what this is. The last game got like an eighty. That was a long time ago. I just I don't really know what this is trying to be. And that could either mean it is gonna miss all their marks because it's trying too much, or this could just be like a weird amalgamation that everything just hits just right and this is going to end up being game of the year like i don't know how to get a read on this game it's weird too because a lot of the fans of the first game like to say that the concerns that they had were in large part addressed in the dlc which gave them hope that part two would be better but the dlc reviewed worse than the base game did and so i don't really know what that means but i know that i'm not Obviously, I don't think it's going to be bad enough to counterpick, certainly, but I also don't think it, it has a wild floor to ceiling ratio, like maybe a 15 point floor to ceiling ratio, which is crazy. I don't I mean, Nick, you're you're more into the action game. Does this look like I, I know it probably won't be appealing strictly to you, but you understand these more than the two of us, I think. I mean, what is this game doing? I just I can't get a read on. It. I don't understand. There's not a lot of open world action RPGs. I think this fulfills a desire for people to fuck around and find out 2012 Capcom was a very strange era for them. I think they were definitely hitting on none cylinders at that point. They were really, really struggling with the transition to HD. They were trans they're trying to establish who they were as a company after some, uh, notable departures and sort of giving up on Mega Man and a lot of their fighting game for like forays with uh, street fighter was like, just not, really hitting the way they wanted it to. This wasn't the era of Street Fighter V. I don't think that that was a little bit later, but I mean, you look at that, you look at the Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom, their Lost Planet series. It was a very strange time for a lot of Japanese developers, but Capcom now is hitting. And I think for them to revitalize a franchise, I mean, make it a franchise in the first place, it was one game with a DLC and it's like a cult classic. I think it lends me to think that, yeah, this is going to be worth our time considering what they've done with Monster Hunter, what they've done with Resident Evil, with Street Fighter now. Like, they are a hit machine, and Dragon's Dogma 2, I think, is going to reflect. It's going to be the diehards that were saying, yes, we were right all along, and it's also going to be new people coming to it saying, why didn't anyone tell us the Dragon's Dogma was so cool? But... They're also the same people that also were being told Dragon's Dogma is really cool. They just sort of never gave it the time of day so they can go fuck off. But I think Dragon's Dogma 2 is going to score really well. I think it's possible for it to be hitting on 90s. Like it could be the Elden Ring of the year. No one expected that to be like one of the best reviewed games of all time. But it certainly could 
reach that echelon. Well put. It's like playing The Witcher if it wasn't boring. Okay. You talking about one of the highest reviewed games of all time. <laughs> let's let's not be throwing stones. Boring games can be reviewed highly, EJ. There are plenty of boring games that get tens. Look at the whole Dark Souls series. You know, Nick at me with you owe it to yourself to have Elden Ring on your shelf as one of the highest reviewed games ever. And I'm like, sure. We'll see I owe it to myself to have The Witcher on my shelf. I already own it on PC, but I have to have a, have a physical iteration or else it doesn't count. Oh my gosh. The, the thing about The Witcher is that like while the combat is not the star of the show, it's a game where the characters and the plot and these branching quest lines, that's the stuff, you know, you also like Skyrim, you know, so it's just, it's different strokes. You know, you want spreadsheet combat. I want immersive. I'm a gunner. I love Skyrim and The Witcher. <laughs> God damn it, Nick. Don't use my words against me, you piece of shit. Skyrim, not exactly uh, the most intelligent combat system of all time. Like, just buff That's yourself to all hell and start firing away. You know, I'm agreeing with you is what I'm saying yeah. here. It's not why I play those games. You know, I, I want the world and I want the characters and I want to... I like role-playing. I'm a, I'm a sucker for crafting my own headcanon and just being a weirdo about it. You know? So, yeah, different strokes. That's why I can't get a read on Dragon's Dogma because it's trying to do both of these things in my eyes and I don't I just I just don't get it. So it's it's either going to be a bangerang hit or it's going to be a fucking 72 and there's no in between, I think. Might have performance problems also. Some like spec sheets had been released supposedly falsified. Someone like made up a spec sheet trying to make people afraid that the game's going to run badly. It was really funny. I didn't see that. They they misspelled performance and they just like posted it on 4chan or whatever. People are super funny. Capcom's misspelled <laughs> More things historically, you know, that Revelitons. Revelitons, yeah. So I'm not going to say that that means that that's not real. And it also would surprise me if it does run at 30 with some potential performance problems, because I just don't think a lot of games are doing well, especially not like big box games are doing well at exceeding that or even maintaining it consistently on current hardware. I think that was it for the state of play. Is that right? I believe so, yes. Unless you want to talk about Until Dawn or. Legendary Tales, I don't know what that is. But yeah, it ended with Death Stranding too. That was the the finale. The Until Dawn remakes are going to be interesting. I really liked Until Dawn. I do enjoy every once in a while a game like that, a game like The Quarry. You know, I like playing it with Brennan, being scared, but letting him run the show. So I'm not like totally, you know, I don't have my hand in the cookie jar. Yeah, remake, I guess. I, I don't know if that game needed it, especially... For a game that's like still playable on current gen hardware, it's it's like all right, coming to PC. Okay, it certainly won't review any better than it did back then. It was pretty middling, but uh, there's definitely a massive niche for this kind of game. It'll probably review worse because they've they've done this game like seven or eight times now, and everyone's like, oh, Until Dawn was the best one, but everyone's gonna go back to it. And it's gonna be about what you expect from the studio, so it's gonna it'll get yeah. dragged down a little bit. It won't have that kind of uh, interesting sort of edge to it anymore. We also heard that we are getting a dedicated Final Fantasy VII Rebirth state of play on Tuesday. So that'll be cool. Which will probably have a demo as well. It will. And progress will carry over. Uh, so I will definitely be watching that. I'll be installing that. I will make a point to play that prior to next week so we could do a little bit of first impressions. EJ will watch a 10-minute YouTube video about someone playing the... Uh, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth demo and then derive any opinions based on that. That's how we do it. 
because as Brandon said, I don't care about playing games, only predicting their aggregate scores. So <laughs> I hate when he's right. Sometimes <laughs> it feels bad when Brandon's right. Cause it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. Well, because he's too busy playing games, he's really bad at predicting their aggregate scores. <laughs> Him predicting how good a game is going to be, how well it's going to be received publicly. He has no earthly idea how to do that because he is <laughs> playing nothing but 65s that came out 12 years ago. Starts yes. nine of them every month, finishes nothing. And let Love me tell you, bit. <laughs> we, I don't want to say we have to print any retractions here. Well, we do. And we should do that before you get mad so that it doesn't seem like I'm being contrary when you go on your uh, rant about the T word. <laughs> uh, we had a lot to say two weeks ago uh, prior to the release of Brandon's first two games, uh, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth and uh, Tekken 8, mostly about Like a Dragon, uh, but generally speaking about Brandon's ability to make good choices in this league. Well, I'm not going to broadly vindicate Brandon because that will be factually incorrect and journalistically unsound, <laughs> but I am going to give the man credit where it's due that we spent a sizable portion of time fucking roasting this guy, especially over like a dragon. The brand is like, yeah, I think that could be a solid 90. And we're like, you're fucking insane. That game is an 80. It's always an 80 insert clip times like six because we mentioned it so many times in that episode. I'm sure you already have it earmarked DJ. I heard you say that you were listening back to some stuff or some insert clips and maybe that was one of them. And here comes Tekken eight and here comes like a dragon with dual nineties, which is the last thing that any of us expected for Brandon to do with his first two picks. Now, since then, um, his hubris has uh, grown to Jupiter like proportions which has not gone well for him with some recent acquisitions, but we were wrong about like a dragon. And I don't know how informed Brandon was to get to the thought it was going to be a 90 or if he closed his eyes and threw a dart and he happened to hit a bullseye, but we were wrong. And I think it's fair to say that we were wrong. Now, that being said, EJ, you have a lot that you would like to say about a lot of things. So please take it away. I, I do want to point out that when we were talking about Brandon's decision making in the league, like a dragon and Tekken eight were the only two good decisions he has made between the draft and now three or four weeks of pickups. So we weren't necessarily using those to like poo poo his decision making. We just were like, yeah, when he says, Oh, like a dragon's going to be a 92. We're like, all right, dude, you have no reason to actually believe that you're just saying that you're just irrationally confident and you just say things and you double down enough and you hope that it's true, whether it is or not. He hit. Brandon wasn't being prescient here. These were the best picks at that slot at the time. And the fact that he got the two best scores in the respective franchise's history is nothing but sheer dumb luck. And that's fine. That's part of the game. Nick drafted fucking Metroid Prime unannounced remaster last year at 28 points on it. Sometimes you just have to have dumb luck and it fucking works out for you. And that's great when it does. But, well, first, I should say, our, our whole point in our talk last week wasn't so much poo-pooing the idea that these could be better than we thought. That happens all the time. Jake Stradamus is a fun bit, but I'm not always right, uh, especially this year so far. It's been a pretty rough run for me. But it was just the idea that he is overvaluing games, and that is going to hurt him. And I think we were exactly right on the money, and him getting two 90s on the board early, he went from being... You know, let me get a feel for the room. 
I want to play nice with everybody to just, like you said, sheer unbridled arrogance. The absolute plums on this guy thinking, well, I'm right. Obviously, I know what I'm doing and you guys are all idiots. I'm not going to play nice with anybody anymore. And of course, he thinks I'm just mad because I didn't get Tekken. Brandon, you should be licking my feet that I wasn't a fucking asshole piece of shit over Tekken. But anyway, he went on to pick up Dragon Age Dreadwolf, Visions of Mana, Berserk Boy, Factorio Space Age Expansion, Stellar Blade. Of course, we roasted him for getting Penny's Big Breakaway. And then he counterpicks Mina the Hollower and Hollow Knight Silk Song. Hollow Knight Silk Song, which he is convinced is not coming out this year. A historically fine position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're in approaching Duke Nukem Forever territory with this fucking game, where we're gonna have a list soon if there isn't one already of things that have happened since Hollow Knight Silk Song got announced. Top ten years. <laughs> yeah, we're approaching our second <laughs> Trump versus Biden election since this game got announced. Like that's fucking crazy to me. Uh so like okay, sure, fine. Even though it's so fucking early in the year to decide that you think that game is not coming out and ditto Mina, which has been in development for a minute. And I think that's a better counter pick. I didn't move off of it because again, it's so early in the year. The odds are just generally in my favor that over the course of the next 11 months, we will get some news about this game and potentially that it'll come out. And if it does, I hope it does. Uh, Brandon is lay fucked. Because he's also got unannounced 3D Mario on the board, which if that plus Mina. Oh, come on. Let's be fucking realistic, Chris. Come on. It's not coming out. That was a good counter pick. Come on. Give give the man some credit. Did I just have a stroke and forget where unannounced you literally. Unannounced 3D Mario platformer is a great counter pick. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Mina. And I was like, you literally just yelled about how bad a choice that was. 3D Mario is a good, a good check potentially, but it has maybe the highest risk proposition of any game that's on this board. I mean, it's God, not it's I boy for Brandon's sake. I hope so for everyone else's sake. I hope it does, because I'd love to to play another 3D Mario. Wash the taste of Odyssey out of my mouth. Obviously, I've been trying to make moves this year. I want to get the trade system rocking. I'm trying to poke the bear. I think I've had pretty fair negotiations across the board. You know, Chris, we kind of chatted about uh, some potential deals and, uh, you know, you didn't end up. No one's pulled the trigger on anything yet. And that's fine. Like, we're just we're just poking at the at the wall, see where the weak points are. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I'm coming at these trade negotiations. Like, listen, yeah, obviously I think there's more upside in this thing, but here's why this is beneficial for you. There's, there's, there's risk on both sides and it's just a matter of which we think is the bigger risk. And so I'm trying to play that way. Brandon just went from like, yeah, I'll give you Tekken for $6 to don't even fucking talk to me. <laughs> I'm going to beat you so badly. You're just dead to me for the rest of the year. And of course, we're sitting here thinking Brandon might actually set the record for the most points between last place and the person in front of him. Like there might be a 130 point chasm between Brandon and me or whatever in fourth place. Like it is going to be absurd. He's going to have eight counter picks on his board by the end of the week. Eight Probably. counter picks. Probably. Un fucking believable that's half that is more than half of the 15 total counter picks that are made in this league for the whole year eight of them potentially are going to belong to brandon that's nuts that's i think six is already a record for a single person in an entire season correct me if i'm wrong maybe the first year but even then i think we only did two counter picks we drafted them right at the beginning didn't we like i don't uh, i don't remember i don't think that yeah this is fairly unprecedented territory 
that were in here. And yeah, dude, Stellar Blade after that state of play felt like a bait bid and Brandon just came right into the discord and said, no, I think it looks great. We're like, Mm-mm-mm. and Berserk Boy, which holy shit. Oh, buddy. Oh, pal. Oh, my brother in Christ. Brandon, these games never, ever, ever, ever review well. Never review well. I know we're sitting here just absolutely dumpstering Brandon and he's not here to defend himself. But again, the three of us, but (laughs) for the most part, we have a pretty good rapport talking shit to each other. Whether we believe what we're saying or not, that's just our loop when someone makes a decision is we, you know, for example, two weeks in a row, I threw out a bunch of $1 bait bids and somehow got Chris to spend 40 fucking dollars. You're a fucking mark for that. We don't even need to unpack that because I went from, I have to beat Nick and Chris and I don't care who wins to, I don't care if I take fourth place. I just want Brandon to hurt. I told Nick over text, I want blood. I want his head to fucking roll because he went from being, again, Mr. Nice Guy, spirit of competition, kind of playing up his his arrogance as sort of a bit. Oh, that's funny. G-shucks, golly willikers. Right, exactly. <laughs> to fuck all of you. Don't fucking talk to me. Eat some fucking crow. I was right about X, Y, and Z. Last night in the fucking Discord, Brandon is like, let me repeat for the class. You're not fucking getting tech in. You know, because... The context for this, by the way, guys, the context for this, yeah, Brandon, I'm going to put you on blast here, was that he came to me the other day and said, oh, man, Silk Song's a bad pickup. Oh, man, 3D Mario. You know what? I think I'm going to try to convince Nick to trade me 3D Mario for Hades. And I was like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're just gonna. Tr- I'm just going to get him to trade me games so that the counterpicks erase themselves. I was like, no, 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 no. Brandon, for the third time, I'm now explaining how counterpicks work to you. Nick picked your game knowing 100% Hades is not coming out. That's a dead slot for you. That's zero points for him. That is the best scenario, given the circumstances. That was the one and only surefire, absolute fucking dinger of a counterpick we've ever had in four years. So he's thinking if he just trades his unannounced mainline Mario counterpick to you for your Hades 2 counterpick, that somehow does something for him. After explaining how counterpicks work, I told him, Having a zero in your counter slot is an ideal outcome, uh, and games being delayed are zeros. Great. I said, so best case scenario, somewhere down the road, you trade a well-scored game along with Hades to someone who can afford to lose a slot on the upside that you can score more points using those two slots than the well-scored game you're trading along with Hades, right? So Tekken and Hades, now you have two slots to work with instead of whatever. I said, but it all depends on how you're doing, projecting relative to the rest of us, you know, and considering at least three of your counterpicks, at least three of your counterpicks won't be coming out this year. Woof. But I said, but you keep having faith in Dreadwolf and Suikoden, and we can talk next quarter after they all get 2025 release dates. And so this led him in the fucking chat yesterday. What, what did I say to him that really set him off? First, I said, uh, uh, Brandon somehow still having more money than Chris is the real surprise, because as Nick said, there was not a lot of competition in the picks uh, this week. Because the headliner was uh, Berserk Boy. Chris says, what's the record for most counterpick games on a single roster? Whatever it is, Brandon's breaking it by this time next week. And I said, you're not kidding. I said, I'm really regretting my indie pick, which is a zero at best. I could be putting points on the board. And Brandon said, I want to be the most counterpicked so that when all my guns come out at 90, I'll sink everyone's battleships at once. That's funny. Uh, I said, your irrational confidence is going to cost you. You'll need to trade your 90s just to free up a countered slot and that Hollow Knight counterpick. And he just says, allow me to repeat to the whole class can hear, you're not fucking getting Tekken. 
And I said, yeah, you're not getting fourth place. So I definitely struck a nerve with this guy. Again, it's not that he's just making bad decisions. It's that the hubris and the the absolute heel turn that he's pulled in being just an irrational asshole about everything now when he is still so far and away in last place. Nothing about anything he's done screams anything other than I am 2021 Chris. Sadly true. I don't understand what where this attitude is coming from. So so anyway, I just backed off at that point. I was like, I was like, Brandon, you had one friend in this competition and you let an early lead completely ruin that for you. I went from like, like, I'm gonna feed you info. It's gone. My only goal now, I want him to lose so bad. He has to sit down with his wife and say, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I have the plums for fantasy critic 2025. Sitting down with his wife for a very dour and serious talk. <laughs> Hey, babe, I took fifth. Who could have seen this coming? Except for everybody I know and love. To be fair, his one friend in the competition did try to snake a game away from him for way less than it was worth. And you knew that. And I'm not saying that it's not in the spirit of good competition. But I am saying that you would have been quick to do something that would have leveraged him if it would have benefited you. So... Let's 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 be fair. Let's be fair here. Brandon burnt the bridge, but EJ was holding the matchbook is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> he took it right out of EJ's hand and threw them all on the burgeoning flame and then fanned it with a gigantic anime sized fan and just watched it burn to a cinder. Of course, this was Brandon being a chaos monkey, as we well established. And I just was at the right place, right time kind of situation. But going from I just want to sow chaos to you're all going to die by my hand is pretty funny. Again, we're only four weeks into the year. I basically just said, good luck the rest of the way. Like that, that was the end of my shit talking. And he said, it's lonely at the top of the world. Enjoy the view from down there. And I thought that was the end of it. Well, then Brendan gets off work and starts reacting to things. And Brandon just hopped in the chat. He's like, Oh, EJ got his feelings hurt and had to call his goon squad. Brendan is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Nick is like, is he having a stroke? I didn't know the the reactions were what called for that response, but pretty funny in hindsight. He's like, I know how this works. I was getting a little sassy with EJ, so he texts you. I, I can't even understand what you, so, and while not much of you swoop in for a little reaction attack, I don't even know what he's fucking saying there. And then what Brennan gave him one clown emoji for every counter pick on his board currently, which was a nice touch. <laughs> That was good. So, of course, then I was texting you guys privately about it because I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to pile on. I don't want to take the shit talking to such an extreme that I'm actually upsetting people. So I've given Brandon his medicine and he's given it back. And like, that's the end of it. Right. You know, so we have a little exchange with a couple other people. But basically, at the end of it, I, I told Brendan, I was like, you know how pets don't have any clue that they literally just die if you stop taking care of them for a week? That's Brandon not realizing how much shit we hold back when talking crap to him in the Discord. <laughs> it's like, this is all good fun here, but keep poking the bear and it's got to get out of hand here, buddy. Oh, man. So anyway, that's our half hour shit talking. One of my best friends uh, who <laughs> is really being... I, I th Maybe, you know what? This, what if this is all still just a ploy? What if this is all him just continuing... To be an absolute goon. Dragging out the worst in you. Yeah. And it, he's just like, I don't care if I win. I'm just trying to cause chaos. Like, maybe he's still doing that. Well, he's already tilted you pretty hard if you want his head to roll more than you want to win the league. Like, that's oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. I just, I just want him to be, I just want to smash him. He's been this way the whole time. Like, even in the draft was like, I have the best games. None of you understand what I'm, the strategy that I am unfurling. 
Although he did admit finally this week that Hades was stupid, <laughs> that that was a really dumb choice. Uh, but he has been very consistent. He didn't understand how picks worked back then, but now he does. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Now he does. After having to have it explained again, now he understands. Oh, man. No, he has been. He has been leaning into the the bit of like, I know better than everyone else. And that's a funny bit. That's fine. But it went from a joke to real life after he put two 20-point games on the board. He's not kidding. Again, I'm just going to slam my head into the wall and say it until it's true or not true and then cope after the fact. <laughs> no, Brandon's pretty good at eating crow and he needs to eat crow. So I know if he does lose, he'll be a good loser. And if he wins, he'll be a great winner. He won't win. But if he does, he'll be gracious about it. Doubt. And, and and history has shown that I have been a, quite a gracious loser. If Brandon wins, guys, we are going to concoct for him the absolute best fucking league prize we have ever seen. Okay? Yeah. We will. We yeah, will. It's true. It's true. But of course, he's not going to win. And I'll be making a league prize for my other best buddy, Brennan. So that's all well and dandy. <laughs> Maybe I went too hard in the paint. Maybe I'll cut half of that out. <laughs> you have the power of the power of the pen, uh, sir. If you want to yeah. if you want to cut some of that, and you probably should, then that will be great. Feel better. Get that. Get that. Get that all out. You feeling good now, dude? I wish I could share some bleed of the it out, dude. <laughs> that were shared with me privately. Brandon had some rage after some of Brandon's shit talking. So Brandon's doing a good job of getting us riled up. And if that's his intention, good job, Brandon. You nailed it. Getting the blood up. Here is a segment from a voice memo EJ sent to Chris during a heated post-pod discussion regarding the trade system, the competitive landscape this season, and a particular trade offer between EJ and Brennan. I know on one hand he's kind of talking shit, but on the other hand, like he's really taking it seriously. Like even the $25 bid last night or a proposal last night. I mean, he thinks it's a real deal. And as we're going back and forth today, really my main goal is to generate as many gotcha moments as possible. And when we get to mid-year or, or closer to the end of the year, when everything we've predicted about Brandon has inevitably come true, he's going to look back and say, wow, maybe I should have been willing to, you know, roll around in the mud a little bit. And that's why I told Brandon today when he and I negotiated on Dragon's Dogma and he wanted some coding because he thinks it's a guaranteed zero. And I, kind of waffled a little bit uh, and we came to this proposal and now he's waffling. So we talked this morning and I told him, I said, the way I'm looking at the trade system and all of the games on my board and my cash in the bank, it's a different game this year, right? It's all about asset accumulation, asset retention. This is why I was putting $1 bids out, seeing what sneaks through the cracks, trying to get people to overpay, trying to get people to fill up their counter picks way too fucking early. So then it's just, it's a free game. It's rent to own. It's $1 games. Now I've got assets to play. Now, I, and that's why I told Brennan exactly. I said, Brennan, if I traded you a 15 and $10 and a zero counter pick and you give me a 90, I still lose the trade. But for me, I'm taking the risk that World of Goo comes out, I'm trading the $10, counter, uh, Sweet Coden's a ca- good counter pick. I'm taking the risk that your game is going to be a 90, but I have to look at it like, oh, I traded $11 for Dragon's Dogma. Now it's fair. It's fair for both of us. And he was flummoxed. He was like, well, I just, I didn't look at it. Like, oh, that's interesting. Oh. So, you know, like I said, it's a different game. And that's how I'm approaching things, taking things slow. Uh, you think the drought's coming. I don't. That's going to change our philosophies and how we approach the game. But I just want as many instances where Brandon is making a bad decision, both in negotiating trades, um, whether that was Tekken for $6 or refusing Tekken for $12 or refusing you know, X, Y, and Z for $30, whatever. 
and more so highlight his refusal to understand what the fuck is actually going on here. His propensity for completely overrating games, and even though it worked out twice, he's got eight games on his board that are fucking awful, given the context of the current year and competition. Uh, But I'm going to fucking poke and poke and poke and remove myself like I did on the Discord the other day, and I'm going to have an absolute banger fucking folder full of shit that I'll share with all of you, and we can just come at him and say, wow, Brandon, if only you would listen to us. If only... You were willing to take these overpays for your 90s in an attempt to self-correct. But he's going to cling on to those fucking 90s till the end of the year. And he's got seven games that didn't come out. And he'll be scrambling at the end to try and make a deal happen when no one has cash or slots left. And that's totally fucking fine. That's, that's going to be funny. Uh, and I'll say, I told you so, man. If only you would listen to me at any point when I was still your friend in this competition, offering you genuine advice. Uh, and then trying to get you to make a fucking deal of some kind, knowing that you've already dug yourself a hole. And I'm like, Brandon, you don't notice me trying to go after Nick and Chris's and Brennan's fucking games like this. I thought I offered an overpay for the Prince of Persia and the counterpick situation. We didn't come to a deal. That's fine. But I'm like, Brandon, I'm trying to make a deal with you, not only because your attitude fucking sucks, I'm trying to make a point, but also because you are so far behind the competition right now. I'm still trying to offer you a a chance to self-correct. It's not going to happen. It's going to be glorious. Uh, I don't disagree that trades probably aren't going to start happening until later in the year. I think that's a bad evaluation of the economy and the competitive landscape. I think your view on the entire thing is a little pessimistic, which is your prerogative. I think your view on the trade with Brennan is reasonable like yeah if sweet coden hangs a negative 10 on him he loses the trade but if everything goes best case scenario for both of us i've gotten a 90 for 11 bucks he's gotten an 85 10 and a zero counterpick and we both win right and that's i think sort of the beauty of this system is no one's gonna get masayujiried right no one's gonna get swindled unless they start offering games for six dollars they shouldn't be offering for six dollars like the Prince of Persia thing. You trade Prince of Persia and a counterpick you're worried about to me for uh, a counterpick and, and cash. If Penny hangs negative 15 on you, aren't you going to fucking regret not making that trade? I would, of course, if, if it hung negative 15 on me uh, and vice versa. If, if, it hang, if you get a 65 or less, I'm going to wish I had offered another game or more cash and done more to make that trade happen. But on paper, the risk reward, the upside exists for both of us. And that's the beauty of the trade mechanism and something that I think everyone should look at when evaluating, like, what this is used for. Because, again, if you get to the end of the year and the standings are a little more solidified, no one's going to want to play ball if it means they could potentially lose or let someone they don't want to win uh, have a chance. You know, it's just going to become a non-starter. And the next year we're talking about, well, we shouldn't even do trades because we didn't even use the system and it just caused a fuss last year. And then we're back to square one. And I don't want that because I think it's an awesome way to not only get more interaction, but open up the possibilities as the year goes on. Um, but I think early is when the potential for some of the best deals exist. Uh, and inevitably Brandon is going to realize that everything we said is true and he's going to be in this fucking hole and he is going to come crawling to us in fucking June or July 
and you know he's going to have four delayed games, and he's going to have a, a boner pick and, and Penny, for example, and he's going to say, "Oh shit, I have no money left. I've got no slots left. I need, I need options here." And he's going to start offloading things to even have a chance at digging out of the hole. And it'll be funny when it happens. It'll be great. It'll be good theater. But I think there will be a lot of people regretting not being more apt to make moves early in the year. And, of course, if I make four trades and I hit on all four of them, then I have swindled somebody, and that's great. But if I make four trades and I miss on three or four of them, I fucked myself. And that's just the, that's just the beauty of, of how it works. Uh, we leverage our assets into gambles, and we hope it works. But that's kind of what we're all doing, right? I mean, you paid what, six bucks for Mario Kart, for Christ's sake? I mean, we're all just gambling here. The trade function just gives us an opportunity to evaluate it together and make moves that could potentially benefit both parties, could potentially, you know, hurt one more or the other, but that's just uh, that's just part of the game. Of course, I'm not trying to make moves to hurt any particular person. I'm not trying to sit here and be like, how can I fuck Chris? That's what my bait bids are for. I got you overpaying a bunch of shit. I got some counter picks on you out of it. It's great. I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to make moves because I want points, and I'm trying to be risky because I, deep down I know you agree with me because you have Metroid and you have Mario Kart and Nick has mainline 3D uh, platform and you wouldn't want to counterpick it because you're so scared of the potential of that game. So I know you agree with me deep down that this year is different and we're going to have to take these swings in order to actually win. It's not going to just be a waiting game. Uh, and being frugal until the end, you know, and, and pick up a couple of fucking 88s in August. Uh, or what was what was Nick's last pick? That Talos Prince we picked up late for 89. We're not going to be able to do that this year. And I know you know that. And I know Nick knows that. And that's why he drafted differently. So whether this gets you to change your evaluation of the trade system, uh, whether this gets you to stop assuming that everything that I say to you regarding this competition is me trying to fucking game you, it remains to be seen, but uh, it's the truth, and it's how I feel, and I've expressed this to Brennan, uh, and it's not to manipulate anyone. It's just how I feel about it, and whether trades happen or not, uh, and obviously it's looking like they're not going to be happening, uh, I'm going to still keep fucking poking at the cage because uh, I think there's upside for everybody to be had if they, if they have the stones to play ball. And again, I'm not even casting any shade on uh, your evaluation of certain trades. I, you know, again, I don't disagree. It's a, it's all a matter of perspective, right? Um, again, it's just sort of the philosophy uh, of the year and the attitude towards some of these new systems. You know, I keep using Brandon as an example, but again, his refusal to even consider, to even engage in good faith trade talks. Which is totally fine. It doesn't piss me off. I'm so far ahead of Brandon uh, in the projections. Like, it's, I'm not even worried about it. But he, just his attitude and the refusal to even engage when we know he's going to come crawling uh, or just give up entirely because he's too proud to admit that we were right about pretty much everything the whole way uh, regarding his attitude and his evaluation uh, of the game uh, and the games themselves. Again, I just think... Uh, now is the time to be a little more optimistic about uh, the eventualities in any of these potential trades uh, and being more flexible and willing to, you know, like, I figured you just got a bunch of games without dates for cheap. I figured you'd want to be 
doing exactly what I'm doing right now and trying to leverage your cheap assets into more uh, reliable picks because uh, you have plenty of risks, but you've got assets now. And I think that's exactly what I'm talking about when I'm going for $1 games is, is just pieces to play with, things to move around on the board, Chris. If I were you, I would be trying to leverage those with a little bit of cash into games with dates, uh, already scored games, and um, not preying on anybody's uh, evaluation or their philosophy, but, you know, people who are more apt to take a swing. People like me. People like Brandon. People like Brennan, even. Uh, I think Nick's a monolith. Nothing we're going to do is going to change his fucking mindset, but I think that's, it's like, that's great. You got Earthblade. That's an easy delay. But that's got value in fucking February, especially for $2 or whatever, right? So how can you leverage that into a more sound pick to eliminate some of your risk, uh, selling the upside to somebody else, and trying to find a deal that is somewhere in the middle where if it hits uh, best-case scenario, everybody wins. Uh, And if it hits chalk, you probably win, right? So I'm trying to be flexible about it because I was pretty obstinate last year, and even though I took second place by... Uh, a mere 19 points. Uh, I think being open-minded about things is going to behoove me in the long run, whether I win or take fifth or whatever. So that's all I'm saying. Oh man, the quarterly is going to be hilarious when we're all in a room together again, digitally and Brandon's nineties will have been two months. Cool. Oh boy. Oh, he's 30 points behind everybody else. That would be pretty fucking funny. I'm hearing that. There's a chance that Penny could shadow drop with the direct. Nothing of substance, but that would be interesting because we definitely would have a lot more to talk about in the quarterly if we have some CP action going on. But that's for another time. Ah, uh, good. I'm glad you got to glad you got to get that off your chest. It feels good to get that out. You know, sort of like purgation, just like you know, bleeding your humors. Yeah, so you got to bleed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's move into some honorable mentions. We are. Finally getting into the handhelds, we decided to save the Switch for very last in the series, as it is both a home console and a handheld. It felt only appropriate to save it for last. So we're going to be talking about some Game Boy or Game Boy Color games. These are games that are not on our top 100, but that are very near and dear to us and that we would like to shine a little love on and take a couple of minutes to talk about why they're important to us, uh, what they are for people who may not be familiar Nick, you want to kick us off? I would love to. Um, I would really quick, just at the beginning, give a special shout out to a game that I want to play and everything I see about it looks really cool and it is definitely an actual hidden gem. And that is a game called Bubble Ghost. It is a uh, port from like Amstrad PCs, I think, something like that. It's a little puzzle game, little room, room by room sort of things. You're playing as a ghost and you are guiding a bubble through a maze of like spikes and like little traps and stuff seems like a delightful pick up and play perfect on game boy sort of game and i want to play it i just haven't gotten around to it that being said i don't know how much of a hidden uh game this is but it is certainly not on our top 100 and i don't think it gets the kind of praise that it deserves and that is dragon warrior monsters or now nowadays hey. dragon quest monsters and this is a series spinoff of the Dragon Quest games, uh, kind of RPG royalty Enix joint from the late 80s, early 90s. Huge in Japan. Okay to like pretty decent 
following in the West, but definitely Japan first sort of series. Uh, amazing Akira Toriyama designed monsters, characters. This is better than anything he's ever done in, in Dragon Ball. Much more var- variation in the designs. Uh, and they took that series and they said, hey, let's do a Megami Tensei or a Pokemon like with that where you are not playing as the character you're playing as the monsters that the character is catching and the way that this game differs from pokemon is that largely the dungeons and like the environments that you're traversing that you're actually acquiring the monsters is all procedurally generated so it is a dungeon crawler but you're capturing monsters not by like using an item and being a and knowing for sure if you're going to get them but you you try to make them your friend you give them meat different qualities of meat and that'll make the monster like you more and if it likes you enough by the time you kill it it looks up at you and it wants to join you and it is a party system so it is not just 1v1 like pokemon it is a 3v3 i think maybe 4v4 i think 3v3 so very traditional jrpg looking at a line of enemies and using maneuvers that your your monsters learn and before pokemon even this had a breeding system that was very deep and very uh, rewarding where you would take the best aspects of the, the parentage and then pass it along to uh, the future generation. So you'd, you would largely be training up monsters until the point in which they could breed, waiting until they had the moves that you wanted because then there was a chance of the, the pron- progeny getting those moves and you could just get like a super messed up OP monster if you breed correctly. and. The music in this game is fantastic. The artwork is translated lovingly to the Game Boy Color. This was a black cartridge, so it could play on OG Game Boy, but I played on Game Boy Color. And man, it's just, if you're going to play an RPG on the Game Boy, I think this is like top tier. This should be one of the first games that you consider if, you, if you're looking for that kind of gameplay. I remember as a kid, and you were in, I know you switched rooms back and forth. You were in the, the, the closest room to the bathroom. And I, I, just, I just have this memory in my head of, of walking into that bedroom. You've got one lamp on in the corner and your bed is against the far right wall when you walk in. And I don't know if you were in the bathroom or what you were doing, but you left me in your bedroom with your Game Boy and a copy of this game. And you're like, it's like Pokemon, you'll like it. And I pop it into your Game Boy and I'm sitting there by the light of the one lamp on in your bedroom and I am confused as hell, man. I'm like, this is nothing like Pokemon. I don't know what I'm doing, where I'm supposed to go. I'm just running around every once in a while. Some fucking creature pops up. I don't know what the fuck is going on. And that is my experience with that game. I should go back and play that game. <laughs> like, It's just such a vivid memory of being so confused and being like, well, this isn't for me. Hearing you talk about the meat system, that's very similar to another series of Game Boy games that were very odd. It's not my honorable mention, but the Final Fantasy Legend games, specifically, I think Legend 3 is the one that I played, that you could eat monster parts. And whether that was like yeah. meat or also like mechanical bits if they were robot enemies and could like mutate your characters into different like monstrous versions to give them different buffs. I was like, other games did that? The Saga games are very strange, and yeah, one of the more interesting uh, classes they have were characters that you would literally eat the enemies to gain their powers and stuff. Kind of like an early predecessor to what would be like Blue Mages in the Final Fantasy series, and or even like uh, Monster Summoners in uh, other JRPGs. But 
Yeah, EJ, I'm sorry for my past self and the way I would try and get you to play games because I liked them, but also not do a good job uh, onboarding you because I didn't have anyone to onboard me. So I thought he would like this if, he, if I just tell him to play it and he'll like it. But that was not the way to to communicate with you. And <laughs> for that, I apologize. And it happened a lot. It did happen a lot. You've told a lot of these stories. I feel like there, it's like the, some like deep personal trauma that we need to work <laughs> through. We need to like talk this out some more. Really uh, bury this hatchet. <laughs> no, it's what's funny because it, obviously I'm a year younger than you and a grade behind you. And so as close as we were growing up, I was sort of the obnoxious little brother in those early years. And so you're just like, just fucking, pl- just fucking play the game and shut up, you know? Yeah. And the little brother I didn't have. So like I, d- I didn't have any sort of uh, practice in interacting with you beyond sure. the, the weekend we would spend together and get sick of each other until... The parents get talking for too long and then suddenly you're staying another night or I'm staying another night. So how do I feed and care for this thing? What if it has to poop? A question Nick has to ask about me all the time. Exactly. Still don't know. <laughs> to this, to this day. day. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. And I, I love that you chose that, especially considering, um, you know, I had found that copy that was really good looking uh, at one of our local shops and picked it up just in case you didn't have it. And then, of course, like you've already got like a great copy. And so. I took it back, but what great pick. Great pick. No, my copy is not a great copy. It is a, it's legible, but beyond that, it is not a great copy. But for me, a beat the fuck up Game Boy game is like the canon for Game Boy games. Like there were no such thing as pristine copies of Game Boy games no. in my life. Yep. For a portable console and my grubby little paws all over it, like no way in hell. So I'm fine with my copy, but thank you. I, I do appreciate you thinking of me for that. And, uh, also, a special shout out to Brandon because I know he has a special place in his heart for these games in particular. And if it ever goes on sale, I will gladly pick up Dragon Quest Monsters, the Dark Prince on Switch because the demo was totally fun. It was nice. Ran like shit. It's exactly what I expect from that kind of game. So I would love to play that sometime, but I just don't want to pay full price. That's all. EJ, what you got cooking? It's a game that I haven't played in a very long time. So a lot of what I'm about to say comes from nostalgia and I don't know how true any of it truly is, but I'm going to say it confidently anyway. And my honorable mention is the best Harry Potter game that exists. And that would be Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets on the Game Boy Color. A turn-based RPG, sort of baby's first RPG for sure. Definitely aimed at 10-year-old me or whatever and not maybe a more mature audience. And that's okay. But it is, it's what you would come to expect from a turn-based RPG, especially on the Game Boy Color, pretty basic in its systems. Um, some cool mini games, a lot of really cool little side bosses that really weren't expanded upon in the books. And that's very cool when you're a 10 year old and you're like, you're fighting the ghoul in fucking Ron's attic. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool shit. The, the combat is like pretty typical. There's a party system. I think you have three characters, but like, you don't often have characters, if I remember, because they come and go with like the story. So uh, I think you're fighting by yourself a lot of the time. But a ton of spells there's like over 10 spells to learn in this game it's not just like attack wave your wand like you have actual strategy that you have to think about which spells are right for any given situation and then there's a there's sort of a there's like a card system and nick i don't remember if you remember this in this game you collect the the wizard cards from the chocolate frogs are those the cards you're using in battle or are those a separate collectible? I have no idea. I did not play this game. I was about to ask you if this was a card battling RPG. Oh, I thought you had played this. I swear we've talked about this. Okay, okay. No, I played the uh, PlayStation version on my PC. I had a lot of uh, PC ports 
back in that specific Same. era, like late 90s, early 2000s. So like that's the version of Mega Man X4 I played. That's the version of I think I can't if it was Chamber I think it was Chamber of Secrets. You had Sorcerer's Stone. You had, remember the troll chasing you down the hallway? I was just remembering <laughs> Quarrel. So yes, that is that is definitely uh, a Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, yeah. The combat is typical turn based. Where you select a spell, you select a target, but you but you have cards, and I I want to say that the chocolate frog cards that you collect are also what you're using in battle. So the combat, there's three stages. There's three types of spells you can do. And then you have cards that you can combine to like do different attacks or like boost your attacks. Again, I'm pretty sure it's the wizarding cards that you collect throughout the game that aid you in combat, which is like just a cool like flavor thing. The graphics are great on the Game Boy Color. This is still like one of the coolest looking Game Boy games, in my opinion. Um, and this is 2002. So it's a later release, right? It was the final game ever released on the Game Boy Color. What a way to go out. I've played a lot of the Harry Potter games. I played these games on PC, Nick, just like you did. Flipendo! You know, um, <laughs> these games really only got worse. I think this was probably the last good Harry Potter game until uh, if you want to talk about Hogwarts Legacy or you want to talk about the Lego games, which are really, really good. Definitely not top 100 contender or material but a game that I remember fondly and own and maybe I should pop into the analog and go back to but worth a playthrough if you both like Harry Potter and chintzy little turn-based RPGs with Game Boy aesthetic I, I would highly recommend this to either of you then again I recommended Consecrated Top 100 Dragon Ball Z Legendary Super Warriors and y'all bounce off of that pretty quick so you know you just gotta be wearing the right hat boys that's all you'll be wearing the right hat wizard's hat Exactly. It's got a sorting hat. I just found a long play was like flipping through it, looking at some of the combat and the way that the spell system works and that it progresses. Fighting some like, rats, flying the car, <laughs> throwing gnomes in the backyard, you know? You have like like three tiers for everything. So you're basically doing like Flipendo Aga by the time Tiraga. you get to level 30 or whatever. Exactly. Uh, that's kind of cool. That might, that might get its hooks in me a little bit. Console Crusade Vacation Weekend. I have no doubt that you guys would like this way more than Dragon Ball Z. Despite Dragon Ball Z being a better game, and I still believe that after having played 10 hours of it uh, a month ago. But you guys will definitely like this more. Word. It looks good. I've been, I've been wanting to play it for a long time. Nice deep cut. These are good deep cuts. Mine is not a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of Pokemon Yellow? No, I mean, that was shortlisted, but I went, I I can't. Donkey Kong, 94. Oh, no, 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 no. Good game. You ever play Shantae? No, I mean, again, like, this is not this is not a deep cut, but it was one of the more formative Game Boy games for me. And it is a game, obviously, that is not in the top 100. It's a game that we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, and certainly interpersonally. And it is a game that I continue to hold out hope is, in fact, in the process of being remade right now. And that is The Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons. Uh, and I am including them as a duology because I think that they are of a piece for reasons that I will uh, explain. Should I just insert clip our 15-minute dialogue about this game on the Top 100 pod where we sidebarred to deep dive on... How sick these games were. I mean, I'll keep it quick. You can if you feel so inclined. Um, Insert clip. I love these games. I've said a lot of times on this podcast that when I was growing up, I did not get into console Zelda. That didn't happen until 2016 
right before Breath of the Wild was going to come out, which was great timing in hindsight as a place for me to onboard and play through A Link to the Past. Finally, play through Ocarina of Time. Finally, I did Wind Waker later that fall for the first time. Uh, then Breath of the Wild when it dropped Skyward Sword later, you know, that that's when I got into that. But as a kid, it was Link's Awakening for sure, which is definitely, you know, on the top 100. And it was the Oracles games. These were so delightfully odd and getting out of Hyrule and out of a lot of the familiar characters and the familiar looking enemies and the familiar looking abilities allowed them to do stuff with these games that they hadn't really done before. I remember in, in one of them until you get the rocks feather, there's a kangaroo named Ricky that you could call with Ricky's flute and you jump in his little pouch and he would bounce around with you over gaps, uh, in, in the floor. Um, in Oracle of Ages, being able to travel between uh, the present and the past and having to do like four dimensional puzzles basically with, oh, I can't get around this in the present day because it's a wall of trees. But if I go to the past, they're saplings and I can cut them down and I can proceed through that route. Uh, and then the, the season games, of course, toggling between all four of them as you got access to them would change the landscape, give you access to traverse to new areas, um, give you new uh, challenges and benefits that you could deal with. And they are robust games. These are solid campaigns, especially for handheld Zeldas. And they are both distinctly different games with some pieces of connective tissue in that they were meant in a lot of ways with what they conceived of technologically to exist as parts of a whole. That when you finished one of them, you would get a password that you could then input into the other and start basically a second campaign from the first campaign that once you completed that campaign would give you the true final boss and the true ending of the game. I was like, this is awesome. This is so cool. Like one of the, a rare, a rare time in which these sort of what sometimes feel like cheap, you know, like Pokemon Scarlet, Pokemon Violet. Like, do we really need to have multiple versions of this game anymore? Like, are you just trying to get money out of us? It's the same fucking game. It's the same fucking region, but you give us six different monsters and you want us to either pay full price or find somebody to trade with. That's stupid. But these games are completely fucking different and still manage to coexist together. And I just don't know of a lot of stuff that's even doing that now with stuff that does the multiple version thing. Multiple versions have kind of fallen off collectively, which is great as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I love these games. I own physical copies of these games. I, I continue to remain optimistic, like I said, that there are Ricky. Oh, and the bear. What the fuck was the bear's name? Moosh. <laughs> Moosh. Oh, Moosh. Moosh. Hype. Moosh's I flute. Love Moosh. Josh loved Moosh. Loved Moosh. These games big for us. Big for the four household. Yeah, I, you know, there's been some smoke and they're coming to NSO. Well, are they, are they out on NSO yet? I think they are. Yeah. Uh, it would feel like the time is right. After Link's Awakening, that did reasonably well sales-wise. It was reasonably well received. Uh, I would love for them to do something similar with those. And if they did remake each of them individually, I would buy both of them because they are wholly different games. And I would do the first, and I'd do the password, and I would do the second, and I would complete the true campaign. I love these games. 
And I hope they get more love in the future because they are weirdies, but they are, in my opinion, among the best uh, top-down Zelda that's out there. I thought these were on the top 100. I did too, until I checked. We talked about it, but I think we decided on Link's Awakening as the one Game Boy Zelda yeah. representative. Yeah, it's hard because they are so much different from each other. They are not, like you said, they are not gold and silver. They are not scarlet and violet. They are completely different games that they released on the same day for... I think it's a bad choice to do it that way in retrospect. I think it would have been better and it would have uh, it would have differentiated them more so in the people's mind if this was a a game and then a not sequel but a follow-up but instead they they kind of got that red blue treatment which is a little bit unfortunate i think but these games totally fuck uh i have not uh beaten either of them in a long long time i had ages as a kid i rented seasons i think uh i like ages more because that was the one i had but i was doing a seasons playthrough but i don't know how far i got the the thing I will knock this game is that I think the pacing is a little bit rough in comparison to Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening is a nice, short, breezy 15 to 20 hours, I would say. And these games kind of drag. They're like in the 30, 35 range. And they do that by making the dungeons just a lot bigger. There's just a lot going on, a lot of rooms. They're tough. And it's a little bit, it drags on. So where they do add a lot of character and there's a lot of cool sort of uh, nods by adding like Gorons to these games, which the Link's Awakening never had Gorons. I don't think uh, Link to the Past had Gorons either, but they took the music from Ocarina of Time. It feels more like this is Capcom saying, hey, y'all like Ocarina of Time, but we put some of that in your Link's Awakening and check it out. So there's there's some cool like quirky stuff, like you said, with the Animal Companions. I really love Ricky and Moosh. They are hilarious to me, uh, but it is still kind of a strange sort of sister series to Link's Awakening that kind of made in that engine, but perfectly cromulent and delightful games love them and i kind of like it a touch better to be honest which is a lot considering that link's awakening is explicitly informed by twin peaks <laughs> uh but you're right on the money in terms of completion time seasons is 21 that's for like full completion ages is 24 i'm gonna check link's awakening i would expect that's like 12 yeah i'm operating in nick time which feels longer than real life <laughs> No, I feel you. Why can't I bullshit? No results found. And also Link's Awakening and a lot of uh, the Zelda games, the characters are really like some of the best part of the game. And I don't have that sort of affinity to any of the characters in the Oracle games. They all sort of serve a purpose and that is it. None of them feel like real characters, I guess. That's fair. 18 and a half for... Link's Awakening to do everything. So, it, I mean, that's sizable. Like, that's almost a six-hour difference from ages. Well, that's our honorable mentions for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Eclectic Slate. I love that we did our top 100 almost 50 episodes ago and that we have strung along this segment for almost a year just in time to revise the top 100. Do any of these honorable mentions make the top 100? Probably not. I think it's going to be primarily newer games that are superseding older games. That is my, that is my prognostication. Yeah. I know Chris had a couple. He can't believe he forgot the first time. A couple. But, yeah. And some stuff that I want to take off that, you know, I've sat with it for a year now and went, I don't need that there. Um, 
yeah, I'm excited. I think we can, well, we got the GBA, we got the DS, we got the 3DS, we got the Switch, that's four. I think that that might, if we do one of these every time, we'll have to be brief about it in the, in the episode where we do our top 10s next week, presumably next week, uh, but we can get it done just in time for episode 150, which I think is, like you said, perfect. That's exactly what we'd want. It's telling that we are not doing honorable mentions for PlayStation or Xbox. I feel like we should. Maybe that'll be 2024's segment post revision. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like a Sega, maybe a Sega title. Yeah, maybe. From like any Sega console. Like just PS1, one, one PS2. Sega. <laughs> yeah, just one. That's all we really need. We're all just so Nintendo pilled that we spent a year doing honorable mentions for only Nintendo consoles. <laughs> Crazy Taxi was fun. Yeah. I like Crazy Taxi. It's no Simpsons Road Rage, but you know what it is. To be fair, all of my Sony experiences that aren't just like Big Buck Hunter or or Cabela's Dangerous Hunts 2, rather, uh, are already on the top 100, so there's just not a lot. It could just be like 10 minutes of me screaming Dark Cloud over and over. You big Dark Cloud guy? <laughs> a good-ass game, dude. I kidding me? It. I'm not. You get city building. You get a roguelike dungeon crawler. You got RPGs. Wow. Come on now. Well, we've got some more to talk about then, it seems, when we get through Nintendo. Well, great. Nick, it's time for our first Goobrick review of the year. You and I have just finished in the last couple of days. Well, second. <laughs> just for, for a game that came out this year, though. Oh, yeah. B-Simulator doesn't count. And well, I guess you <laughs> did Kong also. So this is the third Goobrick review, which is weird. Um, well, the first, we'll call it the first real one. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. The first one done not because of a financial obligation or a bit. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. We put a solid chunk of time into this. You got it done quick. seems like you did a little less exploration uh, amidst the campaign, which is totally fine. I totally get that school of thought. I'm always, I'm a comer. I'm going to go look. As soon as I get a new power, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do a bunch of different shit. But, but we played it. No, I combed. I just didn't, I didn't mindlessly comb. That's all. Ah, I see. I see. You combed with uh, uh, if expediency and efficiency. So this is... As we said when this released, uh, two and eighty-seven on Open Critic was a rare Ubisoft debut uh, after taking a lot of black eyes in recent years. And it's been a long time since they've had like a certified hit on their hands, and they have one with this reinvention of the Prince of Persia series with a new protagonist and in the style of a Metroidvania. We follow Sargon, one of the seven immortals of Persia on a quest to the sacred Mount Kof to retrieve Prince Hassan, the son of Queen Tamiris of Persia, uh, who has been abducted by parts unknown. And once we arrive, uh, we find Mount Kof in the throes of a curse in which time is flowing irregularly in all directions. People experience uh, years upon years in an instant, aged 30 years in the span of a month, uh, experience different points of their life in different times. There's a lot of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff, but that is our frame for this game. Let me get my goobrick out here. And as there's only two of us, we can play a little hot potato and toggle back and forth, but I would love to start by moving through our goobrick. Good. Okay. Obnoxious and bad. Uh, take a turn. going back and forth. Well, I've, I've, uh, I think you, I've also mentioned this, but I am coming at it from the, aspect of great okay ob- uh, obnoxious bad 
also, yes, me too. I, I'm I'm preserving it as written to honor the author's original intent, aka EJ, who God <laughs> God love him sometimes struggles to uh, love even the things that he loves. We love you, EJ. Please don't insert clip me for something just because I said that. Uh, yeah, great. Okay, obnoxious and bad. Give me something from your great column, Nick, and we might riff a little. And if I've got stuff in different places, we could break that down, and we'll just move our way through here. Uh, for me, great is the platforming and the mobility. I think this is top-notch 2D platformer, and a lot of action uh, platformers like this, a lot of Metroidvanias in this uh, aspect, struggle because they get caught up a little bit on the combat side or the exploration side, but they need to make moving around feel good, and this feels good right off the rip. You start with a wall jump right away, uh, and then as you progress through the game, obviously, you get upgrades, and every single upgrade that you get that improves on your traversal abilities feels good to use and is intuitive to uh, incorporate into your move set. Um, and every time you get a new ability that opens up, not just places to go, but uh, challenges to encounter and the platforming challenges that are in this game are amazing. And I would say that they are probably among my favorite moments in the game was finally landing on the ground and claiming the Xerxes coin that you've had floating behind you for the past 30 seconds as you yes. try to get back through the nightmare maze of spikes that you just air dashed and wall jumped and zip lined your way through. Oh my God. Yeah, you hit on two of my great columns with both traversal and traversal challenges specifically. Uh, I, I've got into literally have the word intuitive on my list as well. Everything that involves moving through this world and the way that they challenge you to move through this world, um, jumping, sliding, running, all of the different time powers like air dashing, rewinding to a waypoint basically you can set for yourself, toggling between dimensions that exposes or removes certain platforms, uh, rift capturing things and projecting them, the sash, like their version of the grapple beam. I love it that instead of a simple swing, it gives you momentum and you can use it to grab enemies that are airborne. And so everything becomes a traversal element at a certain point that you can use. Amazing, amazing. And it all feels so good so that when you get into those traversal challenges, that can be really twitchy. And some of them range from being really simple to some of them being like, I was in a fucking blender on the last uh, challenge room in the sacred archives. Have you done the fifth one? I did all of them. So there's the four. You, you did the extra yeah. one after you. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. Where you have the three paths. Fifth one was fine. I, 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 had, a, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I had less fun with that than I did with the, uh, there's another one, I think also in the archives where you're doing it's double jump challenge and you're landing on blocks and the blocks are appearing as, so you have to air dodge into them set a waypoint while you're dodging so that when it slams into the, the foreground, you can revert time land and, and do a wall jump off it. And that one was a total blender moment for me. Oh, same. And it's cause, cause getting that setting, hitting the rewind just at the right time so that it's not too early. Cause you'll get crushed or too late because you won't have time to execute the jump. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. Oh my God. That one blender too, but trying to figure out, that one in the archives where you're hitting switches both below and above. And I finally mm -hmm. get it perfectly timed to where I get my third instance 
all the way to the end only to discover there's another fucking button on the bottom. I was like, this And you had to set a waypoint for that. <laughs> cooking me literally like a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes of how the fuck am I supposed to do this? And you have to figure it out in real time because you have to have the progression set up in both of them. Amazing. Incredible. Absolutely fantastic traversal and traversal movement based and power based challenges in this game. Highlights of the game for me, for sure. Totally. I would add, this is a quick one. When I started this game, I enjoyed the way that they conceived of difficulty options and accessibility. Um, Typically, you'll get, you know, your, they'll give you some flavor text, basically, where it's like normal, a standard challenge for people who, you know, are relatively familiar with the genre, easy mode for folks who want to experience story into the world, you know, hard for fans of difficult challenges. This one does that but also gives you sliders and shows you how each of those difficulty options correspond to things like enemy health, enemy damage, uh, your damage respective to those enemies when you're dealing it. Um, And it's all, and you can individually customize all of that to create your own difficulty option. If you're like, well, I don't mind enemies having more health because then it's about like me parrying and dodging correctly but I don't want to get hit hard because then I'm just going to get punished all the time while I'm learning the game. I don't want to do that. You can do that. They also offer offer you two map accessibility options that you can either get a true Metroidvania map experience where you've got a hundred waypoints that you can set. Um, and it only reveals certain things to you like one way doors or paths you haven't explored or You could choose a map option that gives you guided icons and waypoints for your objectives, shows you paths that you cannot progress through given your current set of powers. Uh, And for somebody like uh, Nate, who is making his way through this game, that was wonderful. And he's having a great time with that because he, like me, wants to know where the right way is so that he can not go that way and explore all the other things first, then return to the right way but also not of his time wasted. If he's like, oh, there's a big red X there. I know I can't proceed there. I just say five minutes of my time in backtracking and maybe redoing a traversal room that I don't want to do. And I think that's wonderful that they give you the option to experience the game in that way for people who are not sickos like us and want to feel a little lost and discover uh, and backtrack and do all that shit. So that was a, that was a big one for me that I appreciated. Yeah, kind of uh, piggybacking a little bit on the the map system. I did want to say that another one of my great uh, sections is having just a dedicated uh, map marker system that also includes a screenshot and it is one of your face buttons is a great aspect. And I would love this copied in other Metroidvania games. Uh, you just have, you just press down on the D pad and it's saves a screenshot and puts that screenshot on the map marker on the map. So you can press select later and look at the map and you see, that I have a eye of the wanderer little memory crystal thing, whatever, and remind yourself, okay, instead of just saying, here's a question mark icon, because I don't know what's here yet. It shows me the context of what I was looking at in that very moment. So I use that all the time, especially uh, when I wanted to come back to an area where there's a double jump required, or I know, I don't know what I have to do with this thing yet, but I know when I know I will know. So here's a glowing yellow brick wall because I'm going to be doing something to that later, clearly. So I think that's a huge uh, W for this game. Oh, yeah. 
a Metroid ass map with some Castlevania thrown in as a treat in the form of breakable walls, which were not immediately obvious to me in their location. You don't want to know how long I went through this game without realizing you just had to hit the wall three times and it broke open. I hit it once. Nothing. It, it made a noise. And I say, oh, well, clearly I will be getting a thing later Ooh. that will deal more damage and will break open the wall. And then that never happened. And then one one time I'm just like mashing away and I hit the thing three times and the wall opens up. And that was a headache moment for me. I was not screenshotting all of those because I was like, oh, I'll just do a, a sweep through later. But man, that's that was annoying. I'm a masher, <laughs> so I'm always just like pop, 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 like hitting the three combos anyway. So it took me a minute to realize they were in there. Once I found my first one, I was like, oh, I need to keep my eyes out. And then you get a sense for, oh, this is a specific texture that these fake walls in this area have. Yeah, I found them in the first area. I just thought I couldn't interact with them because there was other uh, non-interactable barriers in that first area as well that's funny i love that the icons on the map also uh are specific things uh when you're stamping so that rather than just having colors like i never use the memory crystals because i had a coded system for what all of the different icons meant so if i encountered a breakable like the the shining yellow wall like you said uh those got stars uh and when i encountered something that i knew i needed the double jump for that was a, uh that was a uh like a person a character icon so when it came time to go back to stuff i was like oh i need to bring something destructible back there uh yeah but i loved that i loved that the stamps were more specific than just some colors or a star uh in the case of breath of the wild love the map uh let's see what else have not talked about in my great I love to talk about I have the boss fights in my great category. I don't know where they sit for you, but I thoroughly enjoyed the boss fights of this game. I thought that especially once you got into fighting the immortals, that it started to get really twitchy and that you had to really use all of the traversal abilities available to you in order to be successful. Like it took me a minute in. I think Orod's fight where he was, you know, casting that tornado that you could not get over or under or around. It took me an embarrassing number of repetitions on that particular move to realize I should have just used my like shadow waypoint and teleported behind it. And I went, oh, my God, I forgot that I could do that in combat uh, or with, uh, you know, fucking Frost King uh, up in the silent temple that uh they give you the not grappling hook points, uh, not grapple beam points to like bounce around so that you can stay in the air and avoid all of his different attacks and all of the different directions that they're going. I was like, this is really cool. Um, you talk a lot about like boss as puzzle in the Metroidvania genre. And I thought that that was pretty well laid out here. Um, and I loved in, in stuff like the, the first Varum fight, uh, you know, one of my main strats going into like boss encounters would be to try to like arrow stun and then, you know, swoop in and try and like get a cheapy. And I'd like fire a couple arrows and charge at Varum and have him just like blink out of time and slash them with his sword fucking anime ninja style and then punish me trying to come in for my love that nothing personnel kid. <laughs> uh, wh wh uh, where do they rate for you? Where have you got them? I talked about the combat a little bit in my okay. But for me, the boss fights were good. Like, I don't think they really stuck with me as much uh, to even really uh, land in great or okay. 
like there was good aspects to them and there was uh, obnoxious aspects to them. So it's not like a one size fits all with that approach. But I would say like the majority of boss fights were good and there were definitely some tough ones that I uh, had to beat my head up against for a little bit. But most of the bosses I ended up fighting and killing in one try uh, with some like minor exceptions. Menelias was definitely putting me through a blender Mm -hmm. for a while. And I think that overall my um, problem, I, I don't know if problem is the right word, but the thing that I butted up against with the combat is that the traversal really rewards you for being zippy and like quick and reactive or pro or not even reactive, but like proactive that the combat is not like that. And it actively punishes you for being quick and for mashing when the traversal and everything else feels good to do that. So it kind of, it's kind of at odds with itself uh, from my perspective where every time I would slow down and just react to my opponents, I would, I would just kick their ass. They would be nothing. They would be the, the meat in the grinder. But that was less fun to do. So it was rewarding me being like interfacing with the game in a way that was less fun. So it ended up being sort of in the wash overall, I think. No, I get that. And I had, I had combat in my, in my OK column as well which you know we can we can get to that a little bit menelias i didn't i didn't he took me out a couple times and i didn't know what to do with him until i realized that i could get him airborne he's the only one of the immortals that you can get airborne and so i was a big dash launcher that i would love to slide in and kick uh to get enemies airborne because it is a really generous extension of the window uh, and you can equip an amulet that increases the damage. Once I knew that I could get him airborne, I was like, oh, this guy's going down so fucking fast because that's totally my steez. Yeah, and same thing for me, but not, but not. But, so any enemy that you can uh, launch, you can also just stun lock them by doing, just like holding down and mashing the attack. So you do like a trip and then you kick them down. Then you trip them and you kick them down. And you're sort of moving them forward and you can just do that to Menelias for about a fifth of his health and then he pushes you away and does like a, a phase change but i did that for all of the alternate sargon fights uh, anytime you had an enemy that could be knocked airborne you could just this one easy trick will kill your enemies without <laughs> like requiring you to interface with the combat whatsoever so i knew that the combat wasn't really ringing with me when i found myself doing the cheese strat more often than just like actually fighting opponents. That's interesting. I don't think I used the trip at all. I probably promptly forgot about it once I did the challenge. Good tutorial. I did like the tutorial system and how it rewarded you with money, which you could promptly use to buy upgrades and stuff. Absolutely. If you're going to give me the option to like slow down and learn the moves outside of the flow of the game itself, you better incentivize it because that's like breaking the flow of gameplay. But then it becomes like, oh, it's like a side quest. Basically, I'm getting a reward. It's smart. Yeah. And it ended up making Artaban the most likable of all the characters because you actually got to have dialogue with them more than twice. (laughs) Well, oh boy, we're not going to get to that for a long time on this scale, at least on my (laughs) scale. Um, Sure. Let's see. What else have you got in your great? That was it for great for me. Okay. I'll do a couple quickies then. And one of them hopefully will uh, segue into something lower down. Uh, I want to shout out some small touches that I really appreciated. Um, specifically related to the time powers. Uh, 
And again, this also chains into some obnoxious, so we'll just open some mental browser tabs. But using things like the shadow, the shadow rewind, and the shadow chak the shadow chakram, when you hit the rewind, it rewinds the BGM for a second and then resumes from the point that it was. I was like, that is such an unnecessary and wonderful touch for a game that's about like fucking with time on small scales and then in, in some cases large scales. It also does that when you're fighting Varum and he does his little rewind. Yes. Yeah, the consistency there was cool. Um, when you get the chance to redo the Varum fight, uh, I had changed skins in between and it was it gave me the original skin that I used the first time with the Sargon that we zipped to. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like that is a super cool attention to detail that I appreciated opening up the map mid time rewind. I am sure this is a bug. I'm sure this is a bug, but I'm counting it as a small touch anyway, that if you hit a time rewind and open the map, you can only move at the speed that the rest of the world is moving while time is suspended. So the cursor just like crawls. You like can't really Oops. use I know. I was like, I'm going to count it. I'm going to count it. There's a I lot think of that's other- a bug, but that's, that's a great bug. I like, yeah, that. I, I enjoyed that bug. Um, I also love the amulet system. And I thought that it was extremely customizable to a number of different combat styles in a way that I really appreciated. Like if you want to focus on parrying, like I did, I had, uh, I had amulets that the health regen, health restore, extra damage, extra damage, the time bubble, extra, uh, Athra charge on parry. Uh, if you want to focus on aerial combat, you can buff your sword. You can add a fourth, uh, move in your sword combo and you can, uh, up your aerial up damage. Six. Yep. Uh, and if you like ranged weapons, you could buff your arrows. You can add multiple arrows. You could add fire. You could slow down time while you aim the chakra and then hit an area of effect explosion after you throw it. I didn't fuck with any of that, but I super appreciated that it was there for me to use if I wanted to use it. Um, how'd you feel about the amulets? I know it's like, you know, not badges a la hollow Knight. It was fine. They weren't notable enough for me to even, uh, list them amongst my Gubrick, but if I had to, I would say that they're okay. Like you said, they are primarily they are stat increases. Uh, even the additional hits on your three hit combo is just like the last hit again. Like it's not like a new thing that gets added to it, really. Oh, so that's disappointing. a lot of it was just like damage buffs and uh, things don't hurt you as much. And then even like the the different Athra like special attacks or whatever. I never changed that out. It didn't really seem like it added much to my repertoire. So I didn't really, uh, fucks with anything that increased my Athra charging ability in the first place. Cause I was primarily just like anything that just deals damage on neutral is what I want to do. So I had the buffed up swords, buffed up aerial attacks and the thing that allowed you to gather time crystals from further away because I didn't want to have to go sweep up after my, my kills. Yeah, I wish I'd have had that one earlier. A couple world design things I want to shout out. I really like the the architecture and the visual language and the silhouettes in this game. Very, very good. Very crisp. Yes. Uh, and I consistently kept getting to new areas and feeling like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Uh, like getting down to the Eternal Sands for the first time and like all the sands are flowing upwards giving you that classic platformer like jump up the waterfall kind of thing i was like oh that's cool the fact that the enemies in that location would do like time inverted like fucking tenet ass p 
pincer maneuver. It would pull daggers from behind you through yeah, you into their own hands. Such <laughs> bullshit. It took me an astonishingly long time to figure out that's why I kept getting combo broken because I would see him do it and just go, oh, I slid under it and then it would hit me in the back of the head and he would like go in reverse and then jump at me. I was like, that's fucking cool. But the raging sea, holy shit. When I got out there for the first time and that giant wave is just suspended and you get off the dock and I'm like, ah, don't touch the water. And I miss a jump and I'm like, ah, and I land on the water and it's just frozen because it's frozen in time. And I'm just walking along that and then getting into the ship's all broken to pieces and on fire and people mid attack and chunks flying everywhere and frozen lightning. I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like this is a standout area in this game for me. Yeah. And, uh, when I accidentally fell off the lighthouse and I'm like, Oh, well shit, well I'll just die and I'll, I'll respawn back up top. Nope. I'm falling and I land on another ship frozen above the raging sea very cool lucky bastard that that you fell into that because i was like how the fuck am i missing two treasure chests in the raging sea i have been everywhere this is a limited area and i popped up a prima games map and i was like what the fuck is that how the fuck do i get up there (laughs) it's like fall off the lighthouse and it's funny too because i'm like why is the hidden village even here it's so small it doesn't really add anything and it's oh it's so that you can fall off the lighthouse and they can have this really cool like ha you thought you were dying uh, but you weren't gotcha. Well, that's the great. There's a lot of great. This game does a lot of things really well, but we should get into some okays. Maybe you want to kick it off with combat. Is that something that we've already discussed a little bit? Yeah, we've talked about it. Yeah. I've, I've got written that combat is punchy, but it felt like it wanted to punish you for being zippy instead of making the fun way to play the right way to play. And that I always did better after slowing down and fighting reactively, but it just wasn't as fun. I'm with you. And I like the way you articulated it, that it's at odds with itself, that when you're doing those traversal challenges, it's just like pure mental heroin of hitting all of these fast twitch last second. Did you do the spinning blades challenges? Oh, yeah. I did all the challenges, man. Dude. Fuck. That second one was so fucking tricky where you think you've got a sense of it and then they're throwing um they're throwing uh clairvoyant blades that come in or out depending on if you have that power toggled fucking hell like that one had me in a blender for a minute uh but then the combat is very slow and it makes you want to react and it wants to be wants to be dark souls because everything is dark souls like parry is required in every adventure combat ever since then and it works okay. And I like the Atheris surges and I did toggle mine a little bit more to find something I liked. Like when I got the ultra instinct equivalent, I abused the hell out of it because it made all of your different abilities and powers so fucking cool and so much faster and stronger. Um, but this is a, a moment in a way that traversal didn't do this to me, but the amount of different combat specific buttons and the way that they were placed started to piss me off after a certain amount of time, especially considering that my parry is directly tied to my Athra surges. So if I'm closing in on a boss, trying to pop an Athra surge and do some damage, and I don't get my X or Y in time after parrying, I get punished for a fuckload of damage on a hit from the boss. That to me was a black eye on the combat system. Yeah, um, that was pretty annoying. And having you know, shadow rewind on L and parry on ZL, like occasionally like fat fingering a parry instead of an L when I'm trying to like rewind time. And then I get punished and I get hit by the attack. I'm trying to dodge. I was like, I, 
This is frustrating to me. I dare say occasionally had me futzing through buttons, uh, which I don't want my combat to do. So I'm with you. Something else in your okay column. Um, I thought that the, not the story, but just like the setting of the story, the location, the sort of uh, backdrop was okay. Uh, the story is part of that. And there's like some twists and the characterization is uh, well done. Um, it's not like knocking it out of the park. I, the world building was cool. Like the lore pieces that you'd read through. And some of those were well-written. A lot of it was just sort of like filler, but uh, just the world overall felt cohesive and authentic. Uh, it felt like that mystical mix of uh, Greco-Roman and Middle Eastern Egyptian that we don't really have a lot of Persian specific things that we we know about. So it's kind of always uh, portrayed in, in the context of other similar mythologies. So it, it felt authentic. I don't know how authentic it actually is. Um, but there was a lot of like plot holes and things that felt like cut content that kind of dragged it down a bit as far as the story goes. Like there's a character that feels like was totally just like fridged off screen and you don't know anything about the chick with the spear with Radgen. Yeah. Or the spy. Yeah. It's like, where the fuck did you go? Like I get a lore item that implies you died basically, but or implied importance. Like there was, was probably supposed to be a boss fight against her at some point because you fought mentalized. You fought or or on Odon, whatever his name is, Orod, and you fight Varum, but you don't fight the other one for, for no reason. So it felt like, yeah, there's definitely some cut content and like the lore parts implying that Sargon is actually a secret third prince, but that is just completely not, interface whatsoever throughout the actual cutscenes and spoken dialogue so it feels like is this dlc bait is this ubisoft ubisofting or is this a game that had to shit or get off the pot because they ran out of budget and it feels like both honestly at this point so it's like the stuff that is there is good but it makes me wanting more which drags it down a little bit to okay i've got plot in obnoxious partially because of clear-cut content that you get the first uh constellation for free basically after you fight snake god and then you fight orod in one of them and manalias in the other one and no one in the one that's on the right side of the upper city and i'm like this is obviously where that boss fight was supposed to go and i don't know if they just decided that it wasn't up to snuff or if they like you said just ran out of time and money and went put it out uh yeah, the plot in this game is so thin as to almost be completely unimportant, but they try to make it be important in trying to give us these interpersonal relationships that we have no time or interest in developing that you then want me to care about when Anahita dies, but Sargon kind of just doesn't really fucking react at all. Or like a drawn out sort of half animated cutscene of Sargon joining the Immortals midway through the game when you fight Varum the first time, it's like, it seems like they wanted to do more of this, but I also don't think that doing more of this would have improved the game at all. So it's like, it kind of comes out in the gray area where I'm like, I'm okay with what they did have. I don't think I would have wanted more and I don't think I would have really wanted less. I think Metroidvania games are cool in the way you interact with the world, but not with characters. So it's like, I don't need right. more characters, but it's, it's Ubisoft Ubisofting a, a genre that doesn't, benefit from having more characters so they kind of stumbled their way through it i guess yeah it didn't need it at all just give us sketches and let us go to work doing the rest that's all you need but they tried to eat their cake and have it too and it was annoying um and then the ending which is just 
like the most limp dick sort of post final boss fight imaginable. Uh, and then no resolution whatsoever to the sand uh, jar prophecy that fucking obviously tells us that Sargon is a third prince and the rightful prince of Persia, which is a clear sequel bait, clear sequel bait that they want to make more of these games, which great. I'm here for that. But really, like, you're not going to talk about it at all. Like I did. Yeah, it was it was for me obnoxious. Uh, something in my okay was performance. Uh, I didn't have any noticeable issues with the way that the game ran bugs, notwithstanding I have bugs in a separate category. Um, I had some frame dips, but it was almost all during cutscenes. So I was like, I don't really give a fuck. Like it never impacted my ability to traverse or fight. Um, in larger areas, I would occasionally get an odd frame drop, uh, but it never affected my gameplay. Uh, but it was not quite the 60 locked experience that Ubisoft had made it up to be. I'd be interested in seeing how it runs on PS5. Probably like a dream, especially uh, considering load times are probably way, 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 way shorter too, which the load times were not very bad in this game, but they were there. They were noticeable. Like every time you go between areas, you see that animation of the prince for a little bit longer than you want. But yeah, performance for me was was totally okay. Uh, there was a little bit of stuttering here and there. And yeah, the cutscenes running at 30 is very strange. And then also not a consistent 30 where the game was running at 60. It stands out a lot more. But I agree. Whatever. Concessions were made. Let's move into the bottom half of the Gubrick, starting with Obnoxious. I hated the bow and the chakram in this game. I really hated them. Not being able to aim my bow before firing an arrow i hate it it felt like basically a twin stick shooter but not because you have to button press and aim at the same time and often do that while you're in midair trying to like trigger a platform and if you hold the button for a microsecond longer than a press it immediately goes into the chakram which has a much worse range than the arrows do i hated it i i i didn't think it was bad um and I generally hit the stuff I was trying to hit with the bow, but the fact that I could not aim it, um, I just thought was, was, was stupid. I, I get, we're running out of buttons. Um, is there a way to toggle this with a stick click maybe between the chakram and the bow and arrow? I would have loved that because we're not using L3 for anything to my knowledge. I probably would have hated another uh, stick click even more but uh yeah I, I just didn't i didn't use the arrows for combat whatsoever i only used it to trigger switches uh in which case i only ever used the arrows when i was uh in midair by nature of not being able to throw the chakram in midair and i'd use the chakram especially for the cool ability you get later with it but yeah, just sick. uh yeah it was primarily it was just for platforming and stuff and if i'm fighting something i'm hitting it with my swords until they're dead i am not uh fucking around running away and like trying to be fancy about it, you know, in the fucking tower of silence though, where they're throwing all those little ice goblins at you that you have to shoot twice. And if you miss, they freeze you in midair and you plummet to your fucking death would have been great to be able to aim my bow with a little more facility to stop those things in their tracks. I just call those angry grapple points. <laughs> like I would just be flipping past them with the scarf. That's true. Maybe I should have, maybe that's what I should have done. Uh, yeah, but I, Oh my God, I would have engaged with the bow a lot more and actually upgraded it prior to basically the end of the game a lot more quickly. 
if I had uh, cared at all about the way they stuck with aiming. But for me, I was like, yeah. this is obnoxious. I don't like it. Yeah, I think you can only do one thing well if you have the option for melee and range. So I'm glad they did the melee well. Uh, the range for this game, I think, would have been uh, less interesting if that was the focus. Um, for me, what was obnoxious was that even though the screenshot ability was cool, uh, the map in general was bad. It was pretty annoying uh, most of the time. It did one nice thing in, in telling you how many of each collectible were left in each area, but beyond that, there was never like an upgrade or anything that gave you an idea of where things were supposed to be. And things that should do that, like the uh, amulet that is supposed to make it a sound when you're in your treasure, would still ring after you've gotten the treasure, which is, I'm assuming is a bug, but I mean, if it's a bug, then this related to the map, then it, it fucked me. So I just took that thing off because it was no longer helpful. It, it had uh, outlived its welcome. Um, so this is a game that I will never 100% because I don't really feel like going through a guide and going through areas I, I'm pretty sure I've been through before because they're cleared out on my map, but I don't have a good way of saying what is the checklist of things I still need to get because all I know is that there are you know 10 treasures in this area and that I've got eight of them. I'm not going through 10 treasure rooms again to find the last two that I need to get. Yeah, this is all the way in the bad column for me. And this is Ubisoft showing their whole fucking ass in a genre they've clearly never designed a fucking game for that all the way back to super fucking Metroid on the Super Nintendo. They will tell you if there is something in a specific room that you have not gotten yet and that when you get it, they will show you that you've gotten it. That's not to say that there aren't still hidden walls and breakable things and secret areas because that's the fun of a Metroidvania, but it's fucking inexcusable to me that there is no indication of where you have picked things up, which like you just said, means that you're going through, fuck, did I get this one? Uh, am I missing any uh, ingots? Am I missing any Soma petals? I don't know. What is my max health? There's no checklist. There's no indication of what goes into a hundred percent completion in this game whatsoever so going back and combing mercifully i was at 96 percent when i finished this game because i did a, a really thorough job prior to that and so my cleanup really only took like 45 minutes to go back through and grab the things i was missing because there were so few of them but it was still obnoxious i hate the fact that there's no way to tell and i'm stuck on 99.9 percent .9 completion with every fucking item everything upgraded to the max every checklist cleared Everything that you have shown me is a part of getting things in this game. And I'm not at a fucking hundred percent. What the fuck is going on? And I have no way of knowing what I'm missing. I went back and went, okay, I found three breakable walls that I didn't break. I went and I broke them and I smashed the time crystals that were inside and I collected them. Didn't do a fucking thing. So I have no idea if this is related to some inscrutable little, oh, you didn't fill this corner of this particular map area, I'll never know. Or if that last 0.1% is the amulet you can only get in the deluxe edition of this game that will not only ring if you are near a treasure chest, but also ring if you're near a breakable wall. Thanks for gating that behind paid content, you greedy fucks. I don't know what it is and I will never know. And I agree with you that the amulet jam shit, I did use it for a long time, but 
it only tells you if the room you're in still has treasure. And there are some big fucking rooms in this game yeah. that have multiple fucking treasure chests. It's useless. It's yeah. dumb. It's bad. In this genre, it's inexcusable. It has always, always been something that you're able to do. Bad. B-A-D bad. Yeah, and I, I just wrote, let me have the victory lap. Because one of the best things to do in a Metroidvania game is after you are fully powered up or almost fully powered up, is running around wrecking house and just cleaning off and getting the last little things that you missed on your first run through. And they, they kind of robbed me of that a little bit. It feels like it. <laughs> Absolutely. And what they also robbed me of, this is I think part and parcel of my uh, item collection thing. Uh, you cannot rerun the final boss. I went and got all my last collectibles and was going to do what every good Metroidvania player should do, which is rerun the final boss at a hundred percent full strength. And now that I wouldn't have had to have the amulet for treasure or the amulet for pulling in time crystals, like I was excited to like try a couple new things and see what wrinkles they added to the final fight. You can't fight them again. They drop you back in Mount Kof after you've gone back to Persia and then you ride back to Mount Kof because reasons. Um, I don't, I don't know why they fucking did that. That's weird. It is weird. Uh, last one for my obnoxious was the, I, th I felt the fast travel points were a little bit too far away from each other. There could have been a couple more. Or what I was ideally hoping for was whack, just whack let trees. me, yeah, just let me fast travel between the whack whack trees. You know, like they they're scattered through the map, and then for for this final cleanup, where I have everything, like power wise, and I've accomplished, I've beaten all the bosses. Like, why not just let me pick and choose where I'm going? You know, like why make it this arbitrary point in, in place? I totally agree. And some of them are just not well placed at all. Like, if you want to get anywhere basically in the tower of silence you either have to start from all the fuck way at the top or from the haven like seven rooms down further yeah in the yeah. area that comes before i absolutely was like i can't just use the walk walk trees like and again baby's first metroidvania for ubisoft that was definitely that was definitely annoying I've got something that will certainly move us from obnoxious to bad uh, because of our relatively disproportionate experience with it. And that's bugs. Uh, I have that in my obnoxious. I'm sure you have got that in your bad based on the ones that you experienced. Um, here's what I encountered. Environmental sounds, hazard sounds, such as the blades spinning in a lot of the lower and upper cities and the gigantic spike logs sliding along chains in the Harbor, those sounds would just stop completely, which made timing traversal a big pain in the ass, especially in those two challenge rooms with spinning blades. Cause I could not use any aural detection to try to help myself there. Uh, the background music also would like wildly vacillate between playing and just going almost completely silent for no discernible reason which made stuff like the time rewind almost negligible. It's so cool, but sometimes the BGM is so quiet. I can't even tell that that's what's happening. Um, I uh, re-triggered the arrival cutscene into Mount Cough the first time that I got back to same. Yeah. Uh, and was like, wait, what the fuck did I just, is this a time glitch? And then I went, no, this is a Ubisoft glitch. Uh, I was like, this is dumb, including the encounter. Thankfully didn't like soft lock me or reset anything, but I was like, why the fuck? Like, this is weird. Um, the King Darius fight for me, the first time I attempted the second phase, uh, it bugged and he was completely invulnerable. And so I thought I was just doing something wrong until I died and went back and realized, no, my game just bugged. Uh, and I could not deal any damage to him. And I know you had some issues with that, which I'm sure you'll talk about. And the last one, 
which was really fucking annoying because I am definitely a uh, sleep mode to suspend play, not reload full game to suspend play kind of player. Um, after a fight, I don't remember which one, one of my Athrasurge, like the layers of the coloring for the Athrasurge got stuck. And so I just had like a big fucking pink spiral around Sargon that just was there the whole time, like a watermark until I closed the game and reloaded it. Like nothing I did would get rid of it. Like, how did this, how did this texture get stuck here? Like, what the fuck (laughs) is this? It never soft locked me. It never prevented me from doing anything because the Darius would fix itself the second time. But I was like, these are things that these are some really elementary misses guys, like a cutscene triggering again. Like that's fucking that's first grade SpongeBob. Yeah. My uh, issues with bugs definitely ended up on the bad category for me. I don't know how many side quests there are. I feel like there's maybe like six or seven. There's not a lot, but three of them are uh, unfinishable for me because of uh, glitches. Uh, The first of which I noticed was the uh, pirate King guy looking for a bird. Uh, Every time I talk to him, no matter what, I've tried it multiple times, multiple scenarios. Like I tried it the first time I tried it in my cleanups phase. And if I go and talk to him, the game just soft locks and I have to exit the game and come back to it. None of the buttons do anything except for the uh, screenshotting button that you can that you hold. And I see a little ring filling and then that's all that happens. So there's no indication that pressing buttons does anything. Um, the moon gatherer, I talked to him and then the camera stayed locked like in that room. So like I'm like mo- walking around and you walk to leave the room and the camera's supposed to pan and follow you out. That didn't happen. It was just locked there. So I just kept going and eventually I left the room and then it like did a loading screen and it was fine. Uh, but he never appeared anywhere else and he was gone from that initial location as well. So he's just, he just, he found the moon, I guess. I don't know what the fuck happened. <laughs> so you, did you look up the different locations he's supposed to be in? Yeah, and, of course. Dude, that's I went there and there's nothing wild. happening. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> And it's all places I'd been before too. So I'm like, Oh, well he's not there. And I was, there. I'm here again, but he's still not here. So, uh, yeah, he's gone off the face of the planet. And even his like quest log, like in the pause screen, it just shows a moon gatherer and there's no text below. I don't know if that's supposed to be like that or if that's just like a bug too. No, it's supposed <laughs> to give you a seriously obvious clue about where his next location is. Well, the seriously obviously clue is moon gatherer. <laughs> that's it for me. And then, uh, the lost soldiers quest. I, I fought all the guys and then you're supposed to fight the general, um, Ardashir at the end. And he's like, whatever, a little mini boss. And every time I fight him, I get him down to about a third of his health. And then I no longer can do damage to him. So he's invulnerable every time I fight him. So I, I tried three or four times thinking, okay, maybe I just need to reload. I close out the game. I started up again and it's just, permalocked i i cannot finish three side quests in this game that only has like six or seven that's fucking crazy and that sucks too especially considering some of these have really good end rewards i mean the parrot one is like not that great he marks all the location of all the breakable walls in the second harbor Uh, but then like none of the other locations so i was like are, are is this did they intend maybe that if you came back it would randomize a traversal challenge for you and then he would mark like the lower city or something. I don't know. It was or like weird. find another bird. <laughs> Just getting this man birds. A weird thing. But the moon gatherer gives you a whole ass health potion. Additional health potion that you can use, which was really useful oh, for me. I played the game with four. I know that's what I that's what I got. Yeah. And it's very Varum's very beatable with four. But that's a big 
big, big, big thing to get for free. Yeah, and I think the the final reward for the the Lost Soldiers is a so much pedal. Yeah. So I'm like two pedals away from having max health, I think, but I just won't be able to get that. Uh, similar to you, I had the audio just being fucking weird all the time. UI elements sort of floating above the screen, but not in regard to anything. Like I'll have like a, I turned on the um, the thing that put little glowing dots on items you can interact with because I, I'm not going to be wall humping looking for things I can pick up. So that has a little glowing dot. It's very helpful. But sometimes it'll just stay on the screen when I go from room to room. So it's just like this glowing white thing distractingly <laughs> hanging out on the screen for the entire time. And then, man, I have no idea if the soundtrack is good because I could barely hear it the entire game. I tried setting the audio settings so that everything was at one and music was at 10. And I just turned up my TV really loud. Didn't help at all. Like this, the, I don't know what happened with the audio mix, but it's just not there. So I guess I'll have to listen to it on YouTube or something because I can't even tell. So that t- huge bummer for a game to be missing like half of what I'm doing to take this game in. Like I could see it, but I can't hear it. It's a, a huge boner for me. That's a big one for you too, man. I mean, you are the video game music man of this trio. And we, EJ and I certainly have tracks that we really like and songs we really like and soundtracks we really like, but that's a big, big thing to be missing. Yeah. We all know that when it's not there, you notice that it's not there. So it's like, yeah, that sucked. And I also had a hard crash, but it happened once and whatever. Usually if a game hard crashes once and that's like the only bug, I'm like totally okay with it. But that on top of literally everything else, it's like, man, this, you should have put this out like three months later. I don't know what the rush was to get it out in January. I don't want to compete with skill and bones. <laughs> um, it's a shame. I would love to hear the music on the tube. I loved the, the Varum fight. The first Varum fight had a sick fucking track and he's doing all these anime ass like finishing moves where you're just getting like hit and you like after the impact, it slows and then you fly into the fucking wall. I was like, Oh, I'm so here for this. But then I couldn't hear most of the rest of it. Exactly. That, that was so quiet for me too. (laughs) How great was that two V one with past Sargon though? Like that was so hype. I wish it was longer than just like a quarter of his health though. I agree. I agree. Um, they were like, I don't know what else to do with this. So we're just going to switch to current Sargon. Anyway. Um, I have a some small well I have one fairly large bad uh and then one small one I'll do the small one the small one is that you know platforms that you can drop through by pressing down and the jump button uh doing downward strikes out of the air will drop you directly through platforms that you can drop through which meant that in locations like the sunken Harbor, where there are a fuckload of enemies throwing explosives at you, that it would behoove you to get the jump on from above. You fly straight down through the platform off into your spiky death and restart. To me, it just felt like a really stupid design choice or oversight to not make that respond differently to a downward, uh, a downward strike as a downward jump input when you are on the ground. I was like, this is bad. This should not be here. It makes me not use some of the tools that are available to me in a location in which I could really use them. But that's a small thing. Never had that happen to me. I've, I, I have no idea what you're even talking about. <laughs> well, you know, like, I mean, you know, like... The, I know what you're talking about, but I never, I, I never had that happen. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, if you go to the harbor and find some of the little dudes chucking explosives, uh, they're often on those platforms you can drop down through. Try and do a downward strike out of the air. You will careen straight through the platform... And all the way to whatever is underneath waffle sighting like the uh, downward, the 
the hold one where you you slam down yes okay okay i thought you were just talking about the normal down no down yeah it will you will fly straight down to do the that attack. seems helpful i wish i knew that i would do that to go through a bunch of bullshit that's in my way when i'm trying to zip around being fast as fuck well it would be great if it was intentionally designed that way or if just the regular down jump where you're just falling fast would just go through platforms instead see that would make sense because you are clearly trying to get from a to b more quickly in the other situation you want to hit the ground and get the knockback damage yep 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 all right what's your big bad then my big bad is that you have to push up on the left stick to interact with things or collect them. I <laughs> fucking hate this design convention. It never fucking works. I wish everyone would collectively eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. The fact that that ever existed out of their ever loving brains so that we would stop doing it. It is so hard to do it correctly. Being the slightest bit off center with your stick press means it doesn't work. Um, uh, uh, or uh, it'll move you to the side or not initiate it, um, which makes for some really fucking irritating moments in some of those sacred archives challenges where you have to throw switches on a limited fucking time frame. Easily half my runs in that fifth challenge were lost because I would line up right on the fucking switch and it would not hit the first two or three times because I wasn't going exactly vertical with my fucking joystick. And when you have a D-pad with four directions, only two of which are being used, it stands to reason maybe you could have mapped potion to the left or the right or both and used up on the D-pad to interact with things. What this also meant was that I would going to pick something up in my infinite wisdom thinking, surely everyone understands that up on the sick and up on the D-pad almost always do the same fucking thing would slam a potion that I could have really used later hitting up on the D pad instead of up on the stick. I hated this. I hated it so desperately. And if maybe if not for that, that, that power challenge in the sacred archives being so dependent on hitting those fucking switches with perfect timing, I maybe would have hated it less, but if you are going to include that mechanic in a traversal challenge, it needs to be as well thought out and integrated as the rest of them hated it. EJ, do you want to say it? <laughs> Skill <laughs> issue. <laughs> it is annoying. It is annoying. I don't have the hatred that you do. Like, I didn't have that kind of problem that you did. But uh, it happened. I mean, it was, it's annoying. I don't like when I have to pick up something and I'm not, like, in line with it enough. Like, just give me a wider range to interact with something. And that's fine. But I didn't have, like, the, the verticality of the stick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Me. And I would, like, go try to pick up a lore item and I'd be like tap 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 and I would just like like slightly shuffle to each side because I'm not pushing up as precisely as the game would like me to press it I I hated it it made me so mad it made me so mad I was like I wish I hate this mechanic I wish it would be done give me an interact button switch yeah. x in that moment from attack to pick up do what everyone else is doing, Ubisoft, please. Yeah, don't let me fire a bow if I can pick something up and just let me pick it up instead. <laughs> Thank, please, please let me or do the, that. Or the literal, like, the, the magical way that you pick things up is with A. Like, you could pick up bombs and throw them later. Why can't I just pick up everything with A? I could pick up enemies and throw them at and things. And they're not even using that button for, like, 70% for of else. the game. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, do you have anything else in your bad? Nope, that is all for me. You guys have any favorite moments from this game that you haven't touched on yet? Um, I didn't really talk about it too much. Chris has mentioned it, but like all of the super stylish and like anime ass 
cutscene battle moments, especially when you're fighting the other immortals, were all super cool, very satisfying, very rewarding visually. And uh, it, it elevated the characterization of just like a mediocre kind of bo- like boss fight to something that was like actually like, hell yeah, I'm really appreciating this. So I think that that carries a lot of water for me, especially Varum literally like doing teleport and rewind shit. And that little moment at the very end of the first boss fight when you cut his cheek and he rewinds time and he kicks your ass and he still has the cut on his cheek and you're like, oh yes, there is something going on with our main character where he's got a little bit of a extra chronicle uh, ability. So that didn't have the payoff that I would have liked, but in the moment it was really, really cool and I liked it a lot. It made missing a parry and getting punished or getting out of the way of a red attack by a boss it made it feel as painful as it proportionally depleted your health bar. Like when Frost King in his second phase, he caught me a couple times with his ult. And every time he did, I literally winced because I knew I was going to get fucking pulverized of taking like the fire and the ice smashing together and then crushing it into like a tiny black hole, pulling back, feeling like the weight of it against his arm and then flinging it at you. And then just seeing you like the colors invert, you go into a silhouette, you just get blown the fuck up. Yeah. It made it, it it gave it such a sense of scale that you would want with the immortals of Persia who are these like supernaturally gifted fighters for show for show. Um, Standout moments. I got touched on like most of the stuff that really hit for me. Uh, When I think of moments, sometimes I think of like story and again, Um, but I did, like I said, some of those like punishment moves I really enjoyed. Um, Metalizes, especially, I think that will be a standout moment because he's, he's a ranged fighter, right? Halfway through the fight, he's like, if you're a warrior who's worth fighting, you don't have to rely on your weapons. He just starts fisting up with the fisting <laughs> up. dukes. But then also, he had a parry. Like, he, he had an attack that was a parry counter. And I didn't realize that for the first chunk of time that that's what he was doing. That I would he would get out of an attack animation using the bow and he would drop back and grab his fist fucking Yu Yu Hakuso spirit shotgun style and I would hit him and I would go, Oh fuck. And he would just lay into you with a bunch of blows and then blast you with a fucking spirit shotgun. I was like, what the fuck? Cause you don't expect that coming from him where he's like, I was not strong. So I had to become clever and use the bow and do stuff like that. It made perfect sense as an extension of that fight. All of the immortal fights getting into when they use their Athra surges were memorable to me. Um, like Orod hit me so many fucking times with that one. Cause I was the first one that I did Bahamut's rage. Oh yeah. Of just like bashing, getting me up into the air, bashing me with the fucking meat hook. And then after I hit the ground, dropping down and punching me in the back again, while I watched two and a half of my health bars melt off, it was awesome. And it's such a weird I don't want to call it like departure for a Metroidvania, but to have these like, again, very anime super attacks in the middle of these fights was such a nice touch. It was a stylish game. Yeah, it definitely gave me like early 2000s kind of vibes, like the original Prince of Persia trilogy or like God of War, where they just have these very over the top visualizations 
to reward you during these boss fights. Like phase four of the Varum fight, the final Varum fight is like total. Like I, I like that they did that. Like the first three phases were tough and it was a good, rewarding, difficult final boss fight. But then you get the fourth phase and you are powered up and you're going God mode against a God. And that kind of shit's very rewarding. I love that kind of thing. It was very, it rung true to the end of Metroid Dread when you get the, the, uh, the Metroid suit and you're just fucking shit up and you're, you're, you were suddenly the most dangerous thing that's ever walked on this planet. <laughs> yes. I, I love me a game that we arrive at killing God. And it's power fantasy. It's not like a struggle at the very end. It's, it is easy. It is the, yeah, it is the only way you can do this. <laughs> yeah. He's got the heart of the Simurg, but you've got the soul of the Simurg and going full ultra instinct and just bashing the fuck out of him. I was like, Oh, Oh, I like this. I like yeah, this. I earned bitch. this after three grueling phases. We got a one sentence this thing. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, with its tight platforming chops and satisfying combat, definitely finds itself among Metroidvania royalty. But some heartbreaking bugs keeps it from reaching the crown, and instead it gets a nice quiet fiefdom. 80. Oh, nice round number. We love round numbers on the Console Crusade podcast, except for we don't. A new era dawns for Prince of Persia with some of the tightest, most intuitive, and thrilling traversal that we've seen recently in the genre, semicolon. However, novice mistakes by Ubisoft in their first entry into the Metroidvania genre hold it back from actualizing its full potential, 85. Still find it funny that Nick bounced off of Dead Cells because it felt loosey-goosey, but... I haven't checked the options for Dead Cells, but this game has a toggle where you can turn off uh, it auto-facing you towards enemies while you're fighting. I hate that. I hate any time a game takes control away from me unless it's like auto-targeting uh, projectiles. I'm fine with that. But if I'm fighting with like a sword and I'm turning around because there's something that approached me from behind, I don't like that. Let me stay in the face, like direction I was facing. Thank you. But I digress. So you can make this play like Dead Cells if you want, EJ, if you ever get around to playing this. I never will. And the platforming is fantastic and it has a guided mode if you want to if you want to not look for things it just tells you where to go that's true the platforming is good i did play the demo and it did feel good the platforming is fantastic it's even better as you go it does it does well that's prince persia the lost crown um i would love to see another one of these and i would love for them to address the things that we have laid out in this review (laughs) yeah i would be super bummed out if it's just like dlc like a challenge, like a boss rush or whatever, maybe like different skins. Like they already have skins. And every time there's a reward, that's a skin. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I mean, it looks cool, but this is stupid. Like give me something that's like actually worth something. But yeah, I did toggle a little bit. Just I'd find one that was like, oh, that's cool. Like the one that shades his skin like pinkish and his hair changed color. I was like, that's cool. And then you get the ascended form. Yeah, the exalted skin. I was like, that's so tight. Like, give me that right now where he's just like bursting. It's with dumb, but I like dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's dumb in the best way. So yeah, give me give me another one of these, Yubi. Uh, it's a, you know, surprise hit. First banger of the year. Well, it's not quite into formal banger territory. It's banger adjacent, but certainly like the first hit of the year uh, before we got two subsequent hits out of Yaxa and uh, and Tekken. But a good start. A good start. We'll see if it continues. A lot of stuff in Q1 that looks really good. A lot of stuff later that we don't even know is going to come out. A lot of question marks. Hopefully yeah, next hoping week, it sells well. Nintendo Direct will get some news. It's obviously not going to be Tuesday because the state of play is Tuesday. 
if this is the best mes- Metroidvania of the year, I'll be very sad. Because that means Silk Song didn't come out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that would be, and isn't, well, Mina's a Zelda, like, that's not a, yes, that's not a Metroidvania. Uh, yeah, that would be sad. That would be sad. And it also means no Metro Prime. I don't know that I would analogize the two of them for the Prime series in particular, but yes, that would be true. And also, selfishly, I would love for Earthblade to land because it's on my roster and I am committed to it. Too many Brandon games for them to have come after you. You're both full on slots, as is Brandon. And Brent and I have three phenomenal options on how to fill our last slot based on Brandon's activity this week, unless he gets cold feet and runs from them. But I don't think you will. You guys are, are literally pulling up to the buffet line at Chang's and you have every option ahead of you. <laughs> I got a plate full of rice wraps and plum sauce. I'm already set. Some wet napkins, baby. Fill me up. Console Crusade podcast.